Hi there, my name is Eric Canetti, and this is 11 O'Clock Comics. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Needles there for a sec. It's okay. Yeah. Maybe you should uncross your legs because they think you're getting thrombosis. Um, oh, like Want to hear a good one? It, it does not cast me in a good light, but it, you'll laugh. So that that's my point in life is All to make best. you guys laugh. Yeah. Oh. So the current situation in the world being what it is, I, I haven't been, uh, like, I'll take a shower every other day. Right? Okay. I don't have a routine, but when I... I remember to. I take a shower every other day. So I guess I went three days. Mm. Yeah, right? And the kids are downstairs in the kitchen. And I smell something. I'm like, hmm, somebody making chicken soup. And I go down there and I said, who's making soup? And they said, we're not making soup. What are you talking about? And I said, I smell chicken soup. Mm -hmm. Well, the chicken soup was me. <laughs> oh my lord! Dude. You were sweating for all, bro. Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. I was out working in the yard. I'm like, ooh, did I smell chicken? Chicken damn soup. Yeah, you, you had the you had the poultry sweat. So as soon as <laughs> as soon as I was done with them, I went right upstairs, took a damn shower, felt much better. God dang! Yeah, see, self-deprecating humor is the absolute best humor, in my opinion. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. I can make fun of myself if I'm not gonna do it. Who's gonna? Us. It's a great question. Yeah, probably Jason. But it's all right. I love him. I let him get away with it. That's right. Yes. And we love you, too, because this is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 671. And I'm so glad to be here because I'm Vince B. You are Stinky Vince B. I am <laughs> David A. Price. <laughs> Sticky. Yes, you are. And uh, and I, I'm, I'm Karen. God, oh. no, you're not. No. How's that red lobster treating you? I'm not playing this game. <laughs> <laughs> you're Jason Wood. I'm not even going to say it. Period. You're, you're my, my brother, Jason Wood, and we're all here oh. together. We've got something really special for you tonight. We wanted to mix it up, give you a little bit of a against the grain, outside of the norm episode. So what we do, we have a game that we're going to play. And it is a game because score will be taken. And we also have... A mega fanzine flashback for your asses. We somehow managed to wrangle Jason into reading my mind. an actual fanzine. I, just it, this, this is this this episode should be bronzed and put on the the mantle. This is yeah, but you, extraordinary. You had to to powder and diaper him though along the way, but he did read a fanzine. Which I read I, multiple, actually. I know, but getting you there was a little bit tough. Yo, where'd they go? I mean, they were there, but now they're not. And then we had to put them back, and it's, it's like, whatever. I mean, it wasn't... But that, that's such a mischaracterization. Oh, it's not. As soon as you announced that, that you had them available to us, I was like, that is awesome. Yeah. Then, I, see, I didn't realize you were on some kind of, like, yeah, you know, 1950s-level no. data plan. So when you gave me a link to... To the to the files, I assumed last long in a few days when I was ready to dive in, I'd click on the link. But lo and behold, my man had to get. I mean, I know you. I know from talking to you all these years, you have like, you have petabytes of of storage in your house. This is true. But somehow you took the files down, and so Be I had to ask him again. Well, I mean, 
My Google but Drive. I downloaded them all this time, so I now have every single one of them. Good, good. My Google Drive is not a TARDIS. It's the same size as on the inside as the outside. So I only have whatever Google gives you. So there was sure the playing with Vinnie Beats anyway. It was a lot of information. Oh, and it get, took. Are we getting the Vinnie Beats new intro music tonight? <laughs> Shall I reiterate what I said? No, I no you, you got the OG and you got the more experienced and the That's let's better. be honest, the better one. So <laughs> well, you're not gonna I don't get. No, Vinny Beast is gonna drop that flavor. Oh, you know, I can tell you what the intro would sound like if I had him do it. It'd be like, uh, oh uh, yeah, yo, uh, uh, yeah, uh. I, I bust a cash money millionaire. I bust his ass because everything he listens to seems to have uh. That's a lyric. Oh, uh, like stop. <laughs> I just can't. I'm sorry, I can't. So here we are. Yeah. This is going to be some fun. Let's explain what we uh, have concocted to the listener. Jason, I shouldn't say we, because this is all Jason's idea. It came out of the blue, and I think it's one of his best ideas ever. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Just the impetus, though. You, You refined it. You refined it. Well, whatever. I mean, I can, I, I can clean. You built the house. So he said, let's do a, let's do a guessing game. And I said, okay, let's take a seldom, not seldom read, but an obs- semi-obscure series. Uh, I tried to keep mine within Marvel and DC. I don't know if you guys did, but I thought that was one of Jason's points. He's like, Vince is going to win because he's going to go deep into some obscure indie publisher. We're never going to get it. And he's... He's just going to win. And I said, no, let's rein it in. Keep it fairly above board. Something that was on the newsstand at some mm-hmm. time, right? So uh, yeah. here's here's the, the, the crux of the biscuit. We each picked three series, and we will give a brief synopsis for each. And the other two guys have to guess what that series is. Now, if you get it on the first try, you get 100 points. We have a number of hints that one can ask for, starting with publisher, then cover date, then number of issues in the run, then writer, and then penciler. For each hint that you require, you are subtracted 20 points to the amount that you can win on that. So if you get one hint, you're possible, you're only going to get 80 points for guessing it right. If you get it on the one hint, if you need another hint, you're only going to get 60 points. And so on. You get how it's played. And at the end of the day, we'll tally it all up, and the winner will get a Red Robin gift certificate. <laughs> nope. I loves it. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so uh, you want me to go first? Uh, did, we, uh, did we forget some things? Oh, hey. Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> You're so excited. So I am excited. very excited. I'm sorry. I'm just very excited. I love it. Um, yeah. Wow. All these books that I'm going to talk about tonight probably came from one source. Uh, did they? No. But no. if they were around <laughs> when I was buying comics, I would have bought for them. It, it's Discount Comic Book Service. DCPService.com, where you can get your books, get them fast, get them delivered right to your door. Changes are in the works. I don't have the email in front of me to read it, but what they're going to do is uh, the plan was for Diamond to publish one catalog combining two months. I think we got an email saying DCBS isn't going to do that. They're going to do individual months as usual, right? 
No. No? No. Now, would you like the specifics? I knew you would have them. Yes. Uh, okay, so Diamond, to Vince's point, has combined the May and June previews catalogs. So anything ordered under March 2020. Um, in previews 380 and 381 uh, will um, be taken as one order from them. But what she's going to do is she just then went on to, she meaning Christina, uh, they went on to explain that they're going to, how they're going to be spacing out the shipments and the billing. So oh. in in essence, uh, they're only going to bill you for what you're sh- they're going to ship you to like to catch you up. So like you're not going to get like some crazy over the top bill. Um, so they they explain that like if you're a mo- if you're a weekly if you get weekly shipping like I do, they're going to bill you X number of times. If you get a if you're uh, biweekly or monthly, they'll bill you X number of times. It's all explained in there. It's going to be dry if I read the whole thing. But, right. So but, in uh, essence, but, you're just it's business as usual. You would pay for what you get that month. Exactly. You're going to put the order in because it's two months worth. It's going to be a giant order. Right. But what they're, she, they're trying to say is that she and I assume most most regular shops as well will, do, will only bill you for the the stuff as it comes out because the stuff won't be coming out. You know, it'll be staggered over a nine week period. I think so. She said it's going to be like five shipments of. Over nine weeks, effectively, is what that's going to amount to. Cool. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right. So there you go. Discount comic book service. Get them cheap. Get them fast. Get them delivered right to your door. And it won't break the bank because they have your best concerns at heart. See that? DCBService.com. Just go there. You heard. Everybody's doing it. All right. Yeah. The game. What are we going to call this thing? Does it need a name? I mean, on the top of my Word document, it says, name that comic. It sounds good to uh, me. I guess the series, yeah, but that's fine. I think a, a comic series. Uh, we can, can we just name that comic, man. Uh, it's a little cumbersome. That's good. Name, that's name good. that comic series. What, what, no, uh, name that comic. It's fine. All right, name, name that, that comic. comic. Name that comic. Okay, mm-hmm. your time begins now. Number one. <clears throat> In addition to featuring an anthropomorphic mouse, a large mouth basilope. And a surf and turf creature that's half lobster, half cow. This series includes a sequence where an anthropomorphic anteater in the shower finds his pudgy proboscis penetrating the private parts of a beautiful woman. Name that series. Wow, this is a big two series. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, geez. Would you like me to read it again? Uh, Dap, would you? I mean, I'm. I, I remember what you said. It doesn't necessarily help me, but. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm. I'm leaning one way. Do you need a hint? <sighs> um. Wait. Well, wait. if if. Okay. If so, so based on the scoring. So if if we guess first. Hmm. And then, obviously, if we guess it wrong, you have to give us a hint. Do we lose anything by guessing first and then taking the hit? Lose 20 points. Yeah. Unless you magically get it on that guess. There's no, it's not going to cost you anything to guess, right. so you might as well. Like, if I right, guess that's what I'm wrong, so if I, you could guess and get 100. No, we right, won't take any points so, off for you for a wrong guess. It just means that you're going to require a hint to move on. That's what I'm asking. Okay, oh, right, right, right. Right, yeah, once you get the hint, you Okay, that's fine. Um... The 
run down the cast one more time. Anthropomorphic mouse. Now, this is not necessarily the cast. This book featured these things. Right. Anthropomorphic mouse. Largemouth basilope. No Googling. Um, a surf and turf creature that's half lobster, half cow, and an anthropomorphic anteater servicing a beautiful woman. Inadvertently servicing a beautiful woman. With his snout. Okay, so it's not that. Oh, shit. Um... 20 seconds. We gotta keep it tight. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. I don't have the foggiest idea. Okay. Do you need it? Obviously, you need a, a clue. So yeah. the, the first in the chain is Publisher, and it is Marvel. Okay. Any guesses? Uh, I mean, I'll throw a guess up, but it's just total fucking, like, it's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's just uh, uh, Conan? No. Okay. How about another guess? Well, look that, damn, dude. You, we got a whole show to do. We don't. We got three hours to fill. You don't need to be. You don't need to be pushing us out the door. Well, game shows are usually a half an hour, so I'm just. I'm just trying to stay oh, true oh, to the format. Okay, that's true. Right, We're probably six hours for the fanzine flashback, but. Uh... Um, fuck. It's not it. No, not it. Okay, clue number two. Cover date. Two thousand and two. Two thousand and two, huh? Yes. Huh. Huh. Oh, was it? I mean, uh, well, I don't even like. Was it like a Spider Ham comic at that point? Nope. Hmm. The fuck was going on in Marvel in 2002? Fucking Bill Janus. Um, wow. Okay. Uh, it's 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 not um, it's not Marvel, is it? It is not. Marvel, Jesus, thank God it wasn't that. Third clue, number of issues, six. So a miniseries. Yes, sir. I think I got to cook up some background music for this. Ding ding ding. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. Uh, the cat's wow. out of the bag with the next clue. Yeah, I figured. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Hold on. Uh, Damn. Bitch. <sighs> the fuck? They weren't. They, they didn't have the epic line. They didn't have what the fuck. So features. So what the hell? I mean, is it that terrible Howard the Duck comic you hated? It is That's not. It is not the terrible Howard the Duck comic I hated. Oh, but is it is, is it, it a terrible Howard that comic you love? <laughs> if if you ask, that's a that is a hint. Oh, it, is it that Marvel Max Howard the Duck? Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, sir. Written by Steve Gerber, illustrated by Phil Winslade, Chris yes. Chuckery on color art. It's Howard the Duck Max. I gave it to you, but it's actually read it. it's actually Never Howard read it. the Duck Volume Two. Howard was reeling from Doctor Bong's chemical soup. And he lost control of his uh, physiology. He kept changing into things, mainly because Marvel couldn't go into it doing a duck. 
they had to make mm. they had to make Howard a mouse. So he was a mouse, and they started changing into all these creatures. Beverly's taking a shower with Howard in there, and he changed into an ant eater while she was in the shower with him, and his snout went right between her legs. And That's he, he asked her a question, and she said, "Howard, I can't ask, I can't answer you unless you move your your snout because she was feeling some kind of way." Gorgeous okay. art, yeah, gorgeous art by Phil Winslade. It's it was the last good. Howard the Duck series. Dang, 18 years ago. So Jason gets 40. As as soon as you said what the anteater was doing, I knew it wasn't Captain Comet. Captain Carrot. No. Right. That's dirty. Right. All right. Who wants to go next? Well, Jason won. Okay. Then, um, okay. Uh, So, synopsis, right? I, 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 I know I should know this because you just did it but i'm just trying to make sure synopsis no other hints right no okay let's see what you might do all right um uh, earth's greatest hero is dead and the circumstances a mystery his widow brings together a handful of unlikely people to create a new team who can protect the planet in the way that their lost protector did oh fuck i know this i know this is oh shit now I have a second part of my synopsis, Vince. So I don't know if I should read that too. It's like another freebie, or, or well, you read as much as you think we need to know to get it. Okay. Well, I think if I read this part, it's a, it's a huge hint. It's definitely a twenty-point hint. Okay. Well, okay. Treat it that way then. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, okay. Um. No. Go ahead. Okay. The group, as it turns out, are all illegitimate children of said hero. Oh my god. I, oh fuck, I do know this. Why the hell? Oh, it's, um, is it Offspring? DC's Offspring? No, that's that a good was, guess, That was during the Kingdom Come. I didn't give you a publisher, but no, that's a good guess. Um, crap, wait, what the hell was that, um, the Mahmoud book, the Dynamo, what the fuck was the, um... Dynamo 5. And, and, and was it was it, was it Dynamo 5? Was it the Jay Ferber was the uh, writer? Yeah. Well, who's saying the guess? Not me. I'll give it to Dap. Dap is right. Nice. So Fuck. Dap, Dap just, Ooh. you just got 80. Damn it. Yeah, you got 80. Shit. All right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I did, uh, this was an image comic. It ran 25 issues. Uh, cover date for issue number one was January 2007. Uh, last issue was October 2009, as Dab already said, written by Jay Fairber. Uh, and the reason I chose it, Pencils, by Mr. Mahmoud Asrar. It was his first U.S. comic work. Yeah, still looking and good he, back then, too. Very good. I was looking at it today uh, in, uh, to write this up. He, uh, he actually drew all 25 issues, too, starting his career off the way he continues to be a, an absolute machine of reliability. But um, I had forgotten that Ilderai Sinar... Matteo Scalera and Marcio Takara all did um, fill-ins, not whole issue fill-ins, but like spot fill-ins for him on wow. four different issues. It's an all-star cast. I know. And then a um, couple other points I was going to tell you all. It's a spinoff of uh, another long-running image series, which was Noble Causes. Uh, very much a soap opera. And the other cool conceit about the, uh, the run was that each of the five kids – uh, of the hero Captain Dynamo were each imbued with one of his main powers. So you had you had uh, like vision, you know, your your the Superman stuff, your X-ray, your your heat beam. That's one. Then you had uh, 
Then you had flight. You had uh, like psych- psychic abilities. It's super strength, and uh, um, and then you had um, shape shifting. And halfway through the series, they swap like big style, and they actually all get someone else's power of the five. And then so they even go through like swapping costumes and nicknames and everything. It's pretty cool. Love yeah, that I finally remember that series. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, not I, enough I, to get I, the question, I, but yeah, I knew. I see. I was. I knew it was. I knew. I didn't know if it, I, I couldn't remember if it was dynamo or dynamic and then you just said noble and i'm like i didn't know I, I couldn't think if that was part of the title i didn't think five was part of the title you got the point yeah. there was a number throwing me off I was yeah. like, Son it's of the bitch. number five as well it's not yeah yeah yep because it was five illegitimate kids it's pretty baffling too one of the kids is like a martian manhunter he's a half he's his mom's an alien so uh their mom's an alien rather so they, they like they morph and freaked out and then when they do this power swap they get trapped in their alien form and they can't shapeshift anymore because that nice. was their power. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, Dap, you're up. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, I will start with um, Team from the Future sent to the past, our present, on a mission to terminate one of the greatest champions in the universe. Um, our, heroes are seen, our heroes are seen as media darlings. Uh, but things aren't what they seem within the ranks. Uh, and before all is said and done, a mysterious arc villain uh, escaping from the shadows is revealed. Sent from, sent from the future Yep. to kill a hero. So it's got a Terminator conceit. More or less. Yikes. Oh, I, I, I don't know about Jason, but I'm going to need a hint. Yeah, I got something. I got something. Uh, this series starts off as the third chapter of a nine-part crossover, complete with five different covers for the first issue. So it's an image book. That's my guess. Don't take the points off. I'm guessing. I won't uh, take the points off. Uh, yeah. Again, could be anything. I, I don't. I don't know. Jason, do you have any? Yeah, idea? no, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, like I, uh, yeah, I, I can't. This yeah. isn't, th- th- this isn't a hint that goes against any points. But the series also ends as a tie-in into yet another universe-shattering event. Uh, it's hmm, so it may be a DC book then, huh? Yeah, five different covers, five different covers. <sighs> I mean, it must be a 90s book. Yeah, but did DC do five different covers in the 90s? Didn't they all? Isn't that, I mean... I don't <laughs> think so. No, I don't think DC was ch- churning out five different covers for a book. Image, yeah. DC, I don't know. Mm. It, it starts with a, a world-shattering event, tie-in, and it ends with a world-shattering inve- event. So it, it could be... I don't know. Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. I have no idea. That's the one I love. There you go. So what's the next hint? The publisher? Uh, uh, what Jason no, to, the Jason first one was first one was publisher. Publisher, yeah. Okay, so the publisher is actually DC Comics. Okay, still don't get it. Okay, um, <laughs> I assumed it was DC, so that's really of no help. So we got. Yeah, co- I would, I would, I would have been, I would have all the fuck out if Jason got this from any of the clues. But if Jason guessed this, I, I'm, I'm not surprised Vince doesn't get it. But, but I think you'll know when when it's revealed. 
Um, Give me the cover date. So now we're down to cover date. Six is is you were you you were you were on the money. The the, the first issue was released in September of nineteen ninety two. Shit. Ah, uh, it's so it has to be five different I covers. Mean, that's the thing that's throwing me. <laughs> I know. I I picked that as a clue. I love it. Five different covers, which means there may be uh, five when different. Did the, when did that joint that place the Ray come out? <laughs> the Ray was. Uh, was it ninety six? Maybe. So, all right, it's not the right. Okay, all right, go fuck yourself. So ninety two <laughs> has to be ninety two has to be either invasion or or uh, what came after invasion? Um, Something logo related because that's why Dad would be into it. <laughs> oh, I, again, I have no idea. So, all right, number of issues. I'm going to guess four. Number of wow. Okay, is that true? That is not true. All right, how many? 24. God damn, 24 issues? Yes. Shit. And I wasn't there <sighs> for all of them. I got I don't know. Is 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 it new um New Guardians? No, although I, that was that was going to be on my list. That that was one I I had on tap when when cuz I thought it was 5, I was going to pick them as one of them. Um creator time yeah writer writer at the start is marv wolfman now you got it uh what? 20 24 issues yep so it's it starts with crisis and ends with i don't know is it young what is it young all-stars no what is it infinity inc no why don't you just tell us because we're obviously not going to get it Okay, it's it was um, it's it's Team Titans. Oh, oh Jesus, we should have known. What was the tie-in? The t- well, it, it started off with with um, the Total Chaos crossover, which was with the New Titans and Deathstroke. Jesus Christ! Seriously, so was, like why have issues. we just weren't thinking? And and, and then um, so Wolfman was there for the first year, and then um, I think with editorial uh, it, plus he wanted to focus on Titans and Deathstroke. So Phil Jimenez came on board with, uh, with um, Jeff Jensen and they finished off the series, but things got a little, they wanted to tell a certain story, but I guess DC was like, Hey, this could be our X-Force. And, uh, and, and it didn't, it, it, it ended up the big bad at the end, the villain that was revealed that was scheming from the shadows was, um, either extant or, or monarch because it was Hank Hall was supposed to be pulling the string. Nightwing from the future came to the past, came to our present and became Deathwing. Uh, it was a fucking mess, which was the nineties, very nineties name with Deathwing. But yeah, so, so the first issue, each of the five members of the team was a spotlight on the issue. And they each had like a little origin story in that issue. But the first issue was the same except for those couple of pages. Uh, but the team Titans were initially revealed appeared introduced in um during the titans hunt as as a subplot and then um then that's one thing because it was i was loving titans hunt at the time and then they introduced this and things just really went off the rails but the but the event that it ended on the the last issue was a tie-in issue to um zero hour number one so i was so way off the base on that 
Um, I have heard of the title, but I couldn't have told you a single thing about it until that. Just I've never read it. it. I haven't read Team. Yeah. Okay. First first issues were Kevin McGuire art, so it looked nice at least. Oh, nice. Uh, This one's a gimme, and out of the two of you, David's probably the only one with a chance in hell of getting it. (laughs) I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. This series starts off. with a car full of hard-drinking arsonists named Bingo, Fufu, Joey Punchinello, a lady with multiple personalities named Addie, and many dogs. One of them is hairless. A member of the cast is beaten to death by a biker gang, and the whole thing goes downhill from there. Jason, any, any guesses? Nary a guess. Okay. Yeah, no, go for it. Uh, the publisher was DC. Oh. Um, Hitman? Negative. Okay. The cover date was 1989. Huh. 1989, so it was, it was pre-Vertigo. Yes. Is it under the Helix imprint, or is it straight DC? I'll give you a freebie. It's not Helix. Okay. Need another clue? Yeah. The series lasted 30 issues. Um, it's not Shade the Changing Man, is it? Negative. Okay. Jesus. I mean, I don't have the foggiest, so... Okay. Oh, the animal, man. I love that. Uh, David's going to pounce. It was written <laughs> by David Luapre. Wow. I am seriously drawing a blank. This is pissing me off. Okay. Uh, if nobody has a guess, I will give you the penciler. Okay. It was illustrated by Dan Sweetman. See, now I... Uh, I'm going to... Yes, because now I'm going to kick myself. Yeah, I got, I got no guesses. This is not my... Certainly a comic I've never read, so... Okay. David, you good? Yeah, go for it. It was published in 1989 under DC's Piranha Press imprint. That's why. The oh. first issue featured a story called A Cotton Candy Autopsy. It was beautiful stories for ugly children. Okay. Son of a Never read it. Yep. All right. There okay. Wow. <laughs> that was a good one. That was Ooh. good. This is why we're doing this. I like See, I, I tried okay. to throw you a curveball because none of the story, well, most of the. You said it was st- a fucking layup. You said he was going to, like. I thought he'd get it in a second. Most of yeah. the stories were were not connected, nor were they continued. So they were done okay. at once for the most of the run. And when I, I, I thought when I said, uh, the reason why I didn't say clowns, when I said a, a story of a car full of hard drinking arsonists, in the beginning of the first story, the big top burns down and they're fleeing the big top in a convertible. And they're mostly clowns. The multiple personality la- the lady is a Siamese twin. If I told you that and I said clowns, David would have got it. I know mm. he, I know he would have got it. Okay. So I'm up, right? You are. Yeah. Okay. Synopsis. 
a group of next-generation heroes are tasked with stopping a villain from the past, all the while exploring to find alternative homes for humanity. Wow. For humanity. Ah, boy. Next generation. Heroes. Well, um, I think maybe we can rule out Marvel. But then Jason's not a big DC guy anyway, so maybe it's a curveball. Could be Image, but I doubt it. Wow, I, I, I don't know about David, but I'm going to need a, a publisher for this. Uh, um, see, it's, it's the part about, it's the humanity part that's, that's throwing me off, because I was kind of, see. It's not, it, it's, this isn't, um, is it Exiles? All right. Publisher. Yes. DC Comics. Oh. They're going into... They're fighting a hero from the... Or not... They're fighting someone from the past. Someone from the past. Villain from the past. And they're trying to find alternative homes for humanity. I'm stymied. All right, what's, what do you want next? Well, next in the chain cover is cover date. date, yeah. Okay. Uh, cover date of the first issue was January 1984. 1984? Mm-hmm. So someone did some research. Wow, 84? So it, it was in that... Uh, it's in the golden age of, yes, of DC. Um, Correct. Um. Oh, is it um? Is it Atari Force? God damn it! Yes, it is. God damn that! That's yeah. on my shit. He's gonna chew us up. He's got 160 now. Shit. Yeah. Yes, Atari Force, Volume Two, because the first volume was the mini comics. <laughs> yeah, which were in the boxes for all you young bucks. There was a video game system back in the day called the Atari and. This was the Atari 2600 era, and uh, we bought our video games in cartridge form, and they were like the biggest deal ever. I remember going to Macy's and waiting for three hours to get Pac-Man. And Atari teamed up with DC Comics to do a promotion uh, where they had mini-comics in five games, Defenders, Berserk, Star Raiders, Phoenix, and Galaxian. And, uh, And we were introduced to a team of science fiction like a science fiction, like Challengers of the Unknown crew called the Atari Force. And then what I was talking about was in January 1984, DC started putting out a proper ongoing normal sized version of this, which was the next generation. It was Tempest was the son of the original leader of the team. And, uh, and, and then Dart was the daughter of two of the other members of the original team. Uh, and then they got a bunch of new, uh, new people to join them like Blackjack and Morphia and Packrat. And uh, yeah, and it's it ran twenty issues, written by Dap's boy Jerry Conway for the first thirteen, and then Dap's extra special boy Mike Barron for uh, the final uh, six issues or seven issues. But who drew it? 
Well, That's yes. Well, ten of the issues, including the beginning, were drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Ugh. But also drawn by Ross Andrew. Oh, uh, man. Eduardo, Eduardo, Eduardo Barreto and yes. uh, Ed Hannigan did an issue. Yes. Had a good issue, um, too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the team stood for Advanced Technology and Research Institute. And we were supposed to get a collection of both the mini-comics and this entire From run. From IDW, I believe, right? Or was um, it Dynamite? Dynamite, I think, yeah. yeah. And we never got it, so I don't know what happened. I don't know if that's, that's like... order, but, actually. Yeah, yeah but uh, I don't know if it's... Yeah, but either way, I, I hope we... If we if we aren't going to get that, I hope that uh, DC puts the collection out. I don't know. It's good stuff. Yeah, good question. I was aware of this comic, even though I wasn't a DC guy, mainly because of the video game stuff, the the cartridge stuff. Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, there I remember a- Star Raiders was uh, the the first of DC's graphic novels. Yep. So I have that right here. Um, yeah, it, it was. There were certain clues. I mean, knowing that Jason isn't. A big DC reader from you know right, pre exactly yeah that's true 1999 it, it's 80s uh, DC you got to kind of yeah, start thinking it's probably uh, a I, I connect to it in some other way other yeah yeah so Dap's got 160 uh, I've got 40 right yeah I have uh, Bupkis Bupkis okay. yeah big old Bupkis but you ain't getting any points Dap, from me Dap's up, Dap's up and then we each got another one so you got three more chances man. oh yeah, yeah. okay. This, this this should be easy. Um, I had to tweak it because the publisher would have been guessed right away. Um, so this is uh, this series starts off with uh, a special agent who is lacking that killer instinct. Uh, reacts in a crisis, takes off with the booty, and um, and has to learn. How to be a hero uh, in the um, in the ensuing moments? Well, it's not the obvious choice because he was a thief. Um, has to learn how to be a hero. Oh shit! I know what it is. Plastic Man, right? No. Shit! Damn! I thought I had it. Yeah, I was gonna go Booster Gold, but it's not Booster Gold. Oh, those are both good guesses. Yeah. He has well, to now I'm completely... Learn... Sam Booster Gold would have been two on the nose after last week. But that's yeah. Cool. Learn how to be a hero. Oh, he... Yeah. That's why I was thinking Plaz, because he, he's a thief, and then he... But, yeah. Learn how to be a hero. Hmm. It's not Azrael, is it? Is Azrael coming up on loot? Was Jean-Paul Valley a thief before he got religion? Uh, no. Wasn't he kind of like a hacker dude? I don't know. Nebuch- library. No, well, he was. He was with the. Uh, he was with that order. So. Oh, he was a like a nerdy dude. Saint Dumas. Yeah. That's right. Uh, oh, so, yeah. so what's the publisher? That's our first clue. Yeah, the publisher would be Marvel Comics. Uh, I got nothing then. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. You don't know when it came out. You don't know who wrote it. He has to learn how to be a hero. Oh, wait, is it that? Is it, um, oh, it, dude, it's a is spider. It irredeemable Ant Man? Yeah. That? Those are your guesses? No, yeah. it's not my guess, it's his. He's it's gonna, his guess. He's going to yeah. get it, yeah. 
It is not irredeemable. God damn it! It has. You know what I'm thinking? It has to be a spider title. Fuck. Yeah, a spider tie in. It's, oh, like that, uh, like those beat up, like, like solo, like always like slingers or whatever. Yeah, or solo or whatever one of those books was. Or maybe like like one of the Spider Man does like make an appearance in, in an issue. Yeah. Um. Okay, so how uh, the cover date's going to be irrelevant? But... Oh, is it? Is it? Um. Oh shit! Uh, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> uh, is it? Is it? Is it? What is it? The uh, is it Casper Cole, dude? Fuck uh, it. Wait, I got this. I got this. Okay. Superior Spider-Man. No, that's a good one. Damn, Damn it. it. So good. So, so I'm going to go with... Hold on, hold on. Uh, what the fuck is the name of that? Uh, we always talk about it. Shit. No, I'm blanking. You know what I'm talking about, Vince. The Casper Cole book. With the whole posse. With War Machine and and... Yeah, the crew, that's, right? The crew. That, that's the title you're thinking of. But that's that's not, not what this okay. is. All right, go fuck yourself. Seriously, <laughs> that's like that's like wait, you're like vigilante. It's New Warriors. Wait, you just said vigilante though. But yeah, I know, I know. It was good. That was a good guess. That was a good guess. I think the learn how to be a hero thing is is throwing me because that's so anathema to Marvel, right? Is it that new Power Man book? No. Wow. I have a page from that. Thanks, Jeff. That was. Uh, who has right. to learn how to be a hero? It's got to be a, a a legacy character, right? Yeah, sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of. Oh, it's Green Goblin. Wow! No, I never read that. Damn it! That uh, that 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 young Yurk. Yeah. Yeah. No. No, I didn't. I never read that. All right. Well, let's let's get what, what's the next hint we would be getting? Uh, the cover uh, cover uh, date. Uh, cover date. Cover date. Oh, cover date would be October, nineteen eighty nine. Fuck. Eighty nine. Damn. Oh, learn to be a hero. Nineteen eighty nine. Is it like Marvel's Is it Merc? Oh God, no. <laughs> is it Thunderstrike? No. Shit. <sighs> Next clue is is number of issues. Yes. Number of issues might give it away. That would be sixty of them. <gasps> sixty issues. What the hell ran sixty issues in nineteen eighty nine? Well, five years, right? So five years. So it ran through most of my college time when I wasn't reading comics, but I would have been reading in 89 now. Is it, well, yeah. is it, um, it's Ghost Rider. No, I knew you were going to guess that. As soon as I said 89 and 60 issues and, and I, I figured that would have meant, uh. But that ran down. longer than 60 I was thinking, issues. It can't be Blake. Yeah, Blake's never had a 60 issue run. It can't be Spirits of Vengeance. That didn't go that long. No, it did not. It's not. 60 issues. But it is around that time though. Yeah. Yeah. I got I have nothing. All right, Who, go ahead and give us the, the next the, one is writer. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh it is a wordy some bitch. It is written by Mark Grunwald. Nomad. No, that was Fabian. Oh. Demon. Oh, um oh not Nova. Um Homeboy with the Negabands, Quasar. There you go. Yeah. So Jason gets forty. Yeah, there's uh, 
the that special went agent. 60 issues? It went I 60 all. issues. I, I have, I bought the, um, the Quasar Classic uh, trade, I think, at um, last New York Comic Con, the first volume. But yeah, and so that's where, um, so my focus was mostly on the first nine issues, which is what's in this. And, um, but yeah, he's, uh, he, he doesn't, he lacks that killer instinct, which is why um, he wasn't going to go out into the field and, and face any combat action. Um, but uh, when AIM attacks, he, um, his father um, was leading Tony Stark's team of scientists to, to unlock the potential of the bands. And uh, when AIM attacked, Wendell went, put them on himself and um, saved the day. And then dad sent him into space so he could learn how to use his powers. And, and uh, when he comes back, to earth and and meets up with captain america and everybody they 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 teach him um what to do how to do it he teams up with human torch he teams up with spidey there's a secret wars tie-in issue in this uh only but because of course. Uh, battle world is is involved in some degree but um and uh absorbing man actually puts hands on the bands and um and absorbs power more or less blows himself up as would happen with the early Marvel boy when he fought fantastic four because he couldn't control it. So absorbing man blows up. And when, uh, Quasar stops by to talk to captain America, he's like, yeah, he just, you know, he just disintegrated a cap. The <sighs> cap's like, yeah, well, you know, you'll find out that, you know, Creel is a lot tougher than he looks. And, and I'm sure he'll turn up again. It's like, dude, he just fucking disintegrated. How are you just going to shrug off like some dude? I mean, this was so, and it's one panel. I'm like, yeah, they would have dragged this out for fucking three issues these days. But uh, the series starts off with Paul Ryan and yes. Danny Galant, and then uh, Mike Manley comes on for a couple of issues in the first year. Uh, but yeah, yeah. Operation um, Galactic Storm was that was part of that. Yeah, and uh, that he was crossover yeah, that, that would was, never end. Yeah, yeah. Dude, my did. boys, my boys, DP Seven were in Quasar. No kidding. Quasar goes to the new universe to try to, when they were trying to keep the yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because he also met up with Starbrand. Yep. Yeah. 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 But yeah. I like that series, man. Yes. There were a lot of like it was pretty much a guest star of the, of the week. It really was. It was it's typical '90s Marvel done in ones with yep. a dangling subplot with with you know something dastardly going on behind the scenes. But I mean, he's he ta- he meets up with the Aquarian. He takes on uh, like Living Laser and the Angler. I mean, some of his some of some of his nemeses at, at, at the start were kind of a whiff, but uh, nothing but Z-listers. But it was, um, yeah, they're, they're just, it, it's like whoever felt like showing up in the comic, they, they, yep. they were going to get in there. But yeah. He actually fights Thunderstrike, who I mentioned in my first guess. Yeah, fun uh, stuff. That's a good one. I like that. I'll oh. give you uh, a bonus, 20 points, if you could tell me who created the Aquarian. The Aquarian? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh shit. Shit. Who created? Uh, Ditko. Nope. Oh fuck. Okay. Don Glue. Nope. Steve Gerber. Oh, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> Should have got it. Just, yeah. All right. Num- number three for me. Okay. So let's re- let's so one sixty DAP. Eighty yeah. me. Yeah, I have, I have nothing. Yes. Okay. I don't care. Um, here is the pitch from the first issue. 
they were almost human. Their evolution paralleled ours, though they evolved swifter and a great deal better. But we evolved in greater numbers, far greater numbers. Individually, they were superior, but they were no match for the great tide of humankind that came in time to rule the earth. So they became a shadow race, living among us, speaking our languages, but secretly, eternally apart, sometimes as protectors, sometimes as predators. Over the centuries, they became the stuff of our legends and our myths, sometimes heroes, often monsters. But as the 20th century moved nearer and nearer its close, the world had shrunk to the point that there was little room for living in secret, and the power of humankind had grown to doomsday proportions. There was a more pressing need than ever to emerge, to make themselves felt, to influence, to control the destiny of the planet they shared with us. Scattered over the earth, separated from each other by centuries of secrecy and hiding, torn by their own feuds and personal strife, the need to emerge was answered in ways as varied as the people of the shadows themselves varied. But it was answered. Cautiously, recklessly, with responsibility and without, they entered into the mainstream of human life. Sometimes heroes, often monsters. That is the bitch. Um, it's a Nightbreed? I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. I had a feeling. No, it is not. I know what this is, but I'm not quite sure what you're looking for. Like, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I thought it was like a bunch of different titles that related to what you're talking about. So there must be one that that specifically is tied to. Yes. <sighs> All oh, right, so I'm going to uh, Doctor oh. Zero. Nope. I'm, you know, I'm right, though. What the fuck was that called? The Shadow something. Sh- uh, it was uh, yeah, the Shadowline. Shadowline. Yeah, yeah, Shadowline. But that wasn't uh, the name of the book, though, right? No, it was not. That was like the... Right. That was the imprint. That was the Clive Barker's imprint. Well, Dr. Zero, uh, there was a... Uh, <sighs> Saint something. Saint Germain? Saint George. St. George, yes. Yeah, no, this is not that. Damn! What was the other one? There was one other one, right? There were three, right? There were three. There were three. three. Shit. Shit. I can picture it right now. I can picture the cover. Um, Fuck. Damn it. Your hints aren't going to help me either because I know what it is. I'm picturing it in my head. Yeah, you're basically taking a 20-point hit because you know who published it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, um... Doctor Zero, Saint George, and oh shit! I, I, I picture the ads too. Son of a bitch! I know, I know. <laughs> I'll even give you a freebie. The the cover for the first issue, I believe, was drawn by Sinkevich. I'm pretty sure it yeah. was. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can picture it. I can picture it. Um, ah, oh, damn it! You're so close. I can't give you a hint without taking points off, because the next one. Yeah, will... no, I know. I mean, yeah. I, I, the problem is I don't know that you're gonna any of your hints are gonna help me figure out the name. Uh, I keep thinking like Static Shock, but that's obviously not right. <laughs> um, uh, I feel like it was like electric. What? I'm not. Eesh. <laughs> oh God, you're <sighs> so close. I know. I know what it is. It's 
Like you're not telling it's it's not you're gonna say Marvel. It's from Epic. I know that it was part of Epic Comics. Yeah, I wouldn't say Epic uh, though. If you if you weren't this close, I wouldn't say Epic. This book, it, it, I assume they all. I think they all were by Archie Goodwin, right? Uh, they they were conceived by Archie Goodwin, but okay. he did not write this book. He basically okay. made he made the Bible for the series. Right. Okay. Um. Well, I know what it is, but I just can't remember the name. So I don't know that like any hints you're going to give me are going to help me because I I know what book you're talking about. But all right, in uh, lieu in, in okay. lieu of the publisher, since you already know it, I will I'll amend the, I'll transform the first hint in saying that the title of this book is very close to the title of the series, uh, the three book series. Oh, yeah. it's very close. So, so Shadowline. So. Uh... I knew that too. Um, mm. As in, oh. part of it is exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. We just go on and talk about something else. I'll remember in a little bit. All right. The next clue. Uh, it's uh, it would be cover date. So since you know what it is. I'll yeah, give you. 80s, I'll, I'll give you a freebie, and I'll tell you the writer for cover date. So you're going to lose forty points okay. on this. Okay. Um, it was written by D.G. Chichester and Margaret Clark. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, Clark, I didn't know about Chichester. Did. Um. Hi. Goddamn. Come on, you got a line on it. Oh fuck! Um, How about I just give you half the points because you know what it is? Well, you don't have to give us a shit if we don't get the name. All right. Go ahead. What was it? What was it? Powerline. Yes. Oh, oh, I yes. was lying. Oh, yeah, like Shadowline. Shit. I said you got a line on it. You, uh, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> Zero and, I mean, I didn't really remember the word either. I remember it said St. Germain. But, Pencils uh, by David Ross, Gray Morrow, and Mike Manley. Inks shit. by Al Williamson, Terry Austin, Bob McLeod. Uh, it's one of the the Shadowline series, which was not yeah, Clive it's, Barker. Um, it, it was, wasn't. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I knew you knew that. It, it's one of my all time favorite Marvel uh, series, all three of them together, which culminated yeah. in the Critical Mass because sales were terrible, and they had all this work in the can, and they yep. said, "Well, let's just do this bookshelf uh, prestige format thing." Um, the Powerline was uh, the focus of Powerline was two shadows. A boy named Tyler, oh, I'm sorry, a boy named Victor Guillermos, who had this weird force field kind of thing going on. It wasn't very robust, and he could only extend it, like, minimal, just to protect himself. And a girl named Lenore Castle, who could not fly, but she could hop, not like Superman, she could just hop decent distances, but when they came together, their powers were unbelievable. They could do many, many things like they the could Fenders not. Twins. They could not do apart, right? And uh, the whole thing was the Ravenscore family had a huge beef with um, uh, other shadows, and the Ravenscores took the lives that these two kids knew and totally destroyed them. Um, and uh, Victor was sort of adopted by this guy named Ripley, and they used to call him the Ripper because he was a professional wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. It's a cool series. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, it sucks getting old. 
It does. It does. All right, my last one. Um, probably my favorite. I see it. I see it. Not my favorite of like as a reader of them, but the the one I'm happiest that I came up with. Um, okay, synopsis: A fantasy realm in another dimension is torn asunder after a failed rebellion attempt by its despot ruler. Unlikely partners travel to Earth to solicit the help of an unsuspecting magic wielder. Our unlikely hero struggles with their newfound abilities, but battles the despot to a standstill. A third ne'er-do-well joins the battle, forcing another unlikely alliance, at least temporarily. Recognizing that their power will eventually corrupt them, as it has the others, our hero traps themselves in another dimension with the two villains. The end, question mark? Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess uh, I'm going to go counter what he wants me to think and I'm going to presume that this is a DC series. Which means I'm probably wrong. Doesn't sound like anything Marvel would come up with. No offense. But... It does sound like something that you'd read in a Black Hammer book. Um, you would know if you had read it. That's true. Yeah, I have zero ideas. Uh, yeah, I have a feeling I should know. I'm just... Okay, okay. you got the next clue. Well, the, the, uh, the book is, in fact, contrary to... Vince's Instincts, a Marvel Comics book. Yeah, I don't know. Weird world. I don't know. It's a good guess. Uh, and one hero is left behind with... No, no, no. Unlikely partners travel to Earth. Right. To solicit the help of an unsuspecting magic wielder. Our unlikely hero... Struggles with their newfound abilities, but battles the evil despot to a standstill. And then a third ne'er-do-well joins the battle, forcing another unlikely alliance. I mean, this isn't as deep a cut as that cocktail book with the clown Vince was just talking about that I never heard of. But uh, this is definitely a deep cut, though. <laughs> dick, dick. <laughs> Such a dick. I love that you said it was going to be a layup. If, <laughs> After every clue, you're like, that's going to nail this, ready? <laughs> I, I, I was very convinced that he would. Yeah, I really should have. Because he has, unlike yourself, he has heard of it. And chances are really good he's read it. Right, right. Um, all right, I'm going to give you a cover date. First issue cover date was January 1988. It's not an epic book. A Marvel book from 88. Is it a... You can't tell me. <laughs> it sounds like a Marvel graphic novel. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. Any guesses? Anybody? If not, I'll tell you the issue run. Okay. It ran for six issues. <laughs> oh. 
got to either be an epic book. It's not Silver Sharky. Uh... No, it's, it's not. It's not uh, Void Indigo. It's not Six from Sirius. I don't know what it is. It's not Swords of the Swashbucklers. Right. It's not the Boz right. Chronicles. It's not Coyote, Time Spirits. Obviously. Yeah, it's not Coyote. I have no idea what it is. I can give you another hint about the book, or I can give you the the writer. I'll let you choose. Uh, it's, not, it's not steel. Grip. Okay, this is this book was a, unusual for multiple reasons at the time, including its bi-weekly publishing schedule, and that it was prestige format. Perfect bound. Yes, that one. Uh, well, it's six issues. Prestige bound. It's too early. To, to, to be in the what what was the year you said it was published 88 January 88 and it was bi-weekly so it actually ends in April 88 bi-weekly critical mass wasn't bi-weekly and that's not that doesn't sound like that anyway I don't think no alright we're down to 40 right so if I give you the writer we're down to 20 right yeah uh yeah okay you want the writer might as well Wheezy Simonson. Wheezy. A magic user. A freaking magic user. That's what I said. An unsuspecting magic wielder. Uh, magic wielder. Unsuspecting. Louise Simonson. Oh my god. What did Wheezy do in 88? Um. It's not. Is it? Um, it's, it's not Power Pack. It's um. Nope. No, it's not X Factor. Nope. Bi-weekly, six issues. Yeah. Six mm-hmm. Prestige okay. format. That's the thing that's yeah. that's killing me. Pre- what yeah. prestige Dollar format? fifty a, a comic. And I'll, not that this probably will help you either way, but the sixth issue was double size. It was two fifty. No, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, you're, you're out of points, but I'll give you one more. I'll tell you who the, uh, the co-plotter and inker was Carl Potts. It's not shadow masters. Nope. And the penciler, Terry Shoemaker. Mm, I don't know. Still got you guys spellbound. Oh, right. With that. Terry Austin did the covers with, um, he did the covers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the girl with the yep. leg warmers on. Okay, yep. yeah. Erica. Yeah. Erica Stone, I think her name was. Yeah. yeah it, dude, it was weird because it, it was a book that was like, it was bi-weekly. It was, it was per- prestige format, extra priced, and yet for the first three issues, you read it and you, you're not sure it has anything to do with the Marvel Universe. Uh, but then the new mutants show up in issue four. Yeah, and it, then and then it goes back to having nothing to do with the Marvel Universe, and then never then they never talk about these characters ever again. Yes, I'm not. I don't want to split hairs, but it wasn't prestige format. It was a Baxter book. Prestige format has the square bound spine. It's not even. Yeah. Yeah. No, this was square bound. No way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No way. Think it was. Um, no, 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 I think it was. Disagree. <laughs> but that's okay. I wouldn't have got Either it anyway. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't have got All it right. anyway. Yeah, fair All right, maybe, maybe, my last maybe, chance. Miss, miss, miss 
my last chance to, to score some points here. It's not looking this, good. The, no, this the, you should you should be able to get this. Um, a hero from the future follows his nemesis to the present uh, and prevents a UN attack, rejects help from his future friends, and is arrested for murder. He makes his way home, comes back to the present. Ends up going even into the further into the past. Makes another pit stop in the future, um, but that's pretty much the gist of the of 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 the series. <laughs> Rip Hunter. No, it's a good guess. Booster Gold. <laughs> You're gonna get it in there. He's <laughs> yeah, gonna it, right? Booster. He's gonna pick one. Gotta be one with Booster in it. Uh, um, no, before it's a hero from the future, so you would have well, he is a hero. disqualifies it from before. Uh, hero from the future, wow, there's a theme to yours. You got a lot of time traveling on yours. Is it impulse? No, Damn. that's a good guess, though. But that's an awesome guess, that's yeah. a fantastic guess. A hero from the future, chef of the future, comes to the present. For the present. From the future. Not the past. No, from the future. Is it Valor? No. That's a good guess, too. Damn. Well, I don't want to lose any points, so I'm just going to keep guessing shit till I get it. Because I need the I need the hundred to beat Jason. <laughs> there ain't no ties around this berg. Uh, from the future. Oh uh, boy, it's got to be a DC book. No chance that it's a Marvel. Um, Can I hear some Nah, no. Marvel from the future. Who who would come from the future in Marvel? Uh. He's arrested for murder. For murder? From the future? Well, the murder doesn't happen in the future. No, but I'm just throwing stuff at the blackboard. I mean, it's not booster. I'm drawing on the blackboard trying to draw connections here. There you go, 52. Yeah. From the future. Comes to the present. Does a couple things. Goes back in time. Comes back. Is arrested for murder. Why do I not know this? Arrested the hero from the future follows his nemesis to the present. While in the present, he prevents a United Nations attack. He ends up rejecting help from his future friends and is arrested for murder. Okay. Karate Kid. No. This motherfucker. <laughs> you get it? I got it. Got it. Yes! <laughs> Son of a bitch. Google over here. Oh, there's no way. True, dude. Hell, you read that? No, dude. It's not. I, I didn't read it, but I. But I know you. So I was as soon as you you gave the first synopsis, I was thinking Legion. But then I was like, I don't know any fucking Legion spinoffs. But then I remember that Karate Kid definitely is in the modern DCU for a while. So that's all. Peter Rios used to talk about him all the time. Oh, I should see. I should have avoided that shit. No, okay. I haven't read it. I, I, that's why I was. That's why I was a guess. Yeah, yeah, that was good. Yes, little bitch. <laughs> so we so, uh, have a bit of a problem now. Ty? Yes. 
That's all right. I, it's a gentleman's. It's a gentleman's game. I have. I mean, as the dust know. settles on our first ever name that comic, Jason limps across the finish line with 160 points. David screams across with 160 points, and I'm still somewhere in the bleachers with with zero. <laughs> cheering us on. Yeah. Do you want the rest of my clues? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> This game flipping tables and whose whose stupid idea was this? So <laughs> I thought it was the best idea I ever had. Like an hour ago, you said. So he um, so he ends up fighting next to someone sent to kill him, which was the mercenary Pulsar. Who I I first encountered Pulsar in an issue of the Brave and the Bold, which is when I knew Karate Kid was in the present. Um, heads home with his love, Princess Projecta. Um, but on his way back to the present. He gets, he's diverted, goes even further into the past, the caveman era, uh, tries to make his way to the present, but they stop in Smallville. Um, hijinks ensue as they want to do when heroes meet. And, and so, um, because the Legion doesn't recognize Karate Kid yet, because they're, he's from their future, he's fighting everybody. Um, he makes his way back to the present day Gotham. Uh, there's an appearance by Robin. And then eventually, in the last issue, because this, this lasted 15 issues, it was a bi-monthly series, um, he's on his way home, but before he gets there, he joins the search for the last boy on Earth, and there's a slight commandy tie-in with the last issue. Yeah. Val Armour was created by Jim Shooter. Cover date is July, August 1976. It is written by the most part by Paul Levitz and Barry Jameson, which was a pen name for David Nicolini. Rick Estrada on pencils with Joe Staten inks for most of the series. Yeah, it's a good one. Any series that has a commandy cameo appearance has got to be good. Even if you got to wait to the end. Yeah, even if you don't score any points on it. But, um, so so now we have another special event for you. That was fun. That was a lot of fun. Let's do it. Ag- that was. Let's do it again. I am seriously going to patch some music in, some game show type thinking, oh, thinking that. music. Because yeah. yeah. I know you love the dead air. I don't. Um, yeah, lots of dead air. And there will be zero dead air in our next little event here because yes. we all decided. Uh, I don't know who came up with it, but uh, David and I love the fanzine flashbacks. And in order to get Jason to play along, we said, "Why don't we do this? Why don't we take an issue of a." fanzine and we'll we'll talk about it. we'll bring it to the table so we all picked an issue of one publication which ran for how many issues david a hundred and hundred and something um hundred and forty seven yeah i don't know if that was the la- actual last issue i know it's the well, last issue we have it, it ran for more or less 147 issues uh and the editor and publisher is david anthony Kraft. The idea was conceived by Jim Salakrup, who is the editorial and design consultant. You had... 150. 150, good. Okay. The contributing editors to this thing were Dan Hagen, Tony Tolan, Dwight John Zimmerman, and some guy named Mark Grunwald. Heard of him. Yes. It is, of course, David Anthony Kraft's long-running comics interview fanzine, which, if I got to be honest... I bought almost religiously. I would pick and choose based on the nature of the cover stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it, This is not my comics journal, which I bought religiously 
without question, all the time. Comics interview, I would you know take a glance at the cover. More often than not, I did buy it. But there were some issues where I'm like, nah, son, I'm not touching that. But it was a great fanzine, very in-depth interviews, which is all it was, really, uh, with letters in the back. And uh, so we picked three. Each issue that we chose is very uh, emblematic of our tastes, let's just say. I picked uh, issue number 31, which uh, is a Batman then and now type issue. It's a special issue. What did you pick, David? I have issue number 43, which has a big old will your favorite comics be banned cover yeah with the big x right no it's it's um it's stark black and white um which means this might have just been scanned that way uh oh, right 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 but it's yeah all, but what's weird is that the your and band is in all caps but it's the um it's above above the logo sex and violence in comics who's to blame there is an interview or there's a transcript of Frank Miller at a convention. There's an interview with John Byrne. And uh, there is a chat with Jerry Pearls, who you might say, who? Because that's what I did. And you'll find out. Yeah. And Jason, if I remember correctly, picked one. It's an image issue. What, what number did you pick? Yes. Uh, picked issue number 119, Inside Image, with uh, on the cover is uh, you've got uh, Shadowhawk, Spawn, and uh, assorted Liefeld characters, and you've got a Todd McFarlane Lee interview, a Rob Liefeld interview, a Jim Valentino interview, and then a few other goodies after that. Nice, nice. Well, the reason why I picked um, issue 31, which was published in 1986, was because of the cover story, which was an interview with Frank Miller. But I'm glad I chose this issue because... uh, you get commentary by the principal players in the creation of Batman, and there are a lot of contradictions. Uh, it was a very uh, enlightening experience, and I'll tell you what I walked away with. The, the number one thing I walked away with from this issue when I'm finished. Uh, it starts off with an interview with Fred Finger, and Fred is, of course, Bill Finger's son. Bill had unfortunately passed on, uh, by the time this interview, this uh, issue was created, so they there's there was a, a lack of information on Bill Finger. The interviewer laments the fact that there wasn't even a whole lot of pictures of Bill because the man died basically penniless, um, without any kind of fame or accolades by those by the general public. Those who knew knew, but. Um, so Fred goes into it, and I have bullet points here. Bill was a classic procrastinator, which I did not know. Uh, Bill created the mythology of the Batman. Uh, the death of the parents, the costume, the gadgets, the Batarang, Batmobile, Bat Signal. Bill created the villains, according to Fred. He created the Joker, Penguin, Two-Face, and Catwoman. Uh, upon Bill's passing, Fred wanted to pass on his father's voluminous notes and writing on Batman. Not for monetary gain, but he he looked at this giant file cabinet full of paper and said, I think this is too valuable 
of an artifact, as far as comic books are concerned, to just throw away, to just let evaporate in the annals of time. So he called up DC and he says, hey, I have all these notes my dad made and these drawings and stuff. Do you want them? And DC was very cold to him. Carmine Infantino was basically no help at all. Nobody wanted the stuff. An entire uh, file cabinet full of Bill Finger's notes on the creation of Batman and nobody wanted them. That's really sad. And it ties in to the way that the events around Bill Finger's death, too. He just, he just died. And suppose, like, people just forgot about him. And there's a reason why. Um, I'll get into it. Bill Finger and Bob Kane had a very rocky relationship. When DC found out that Bill was ghostwriting for Bob, Bill gained a level of celebrity and creative freedom at DC that Bob did not like at all. Um, DC made Bill a freelance staff writer and he no longer had to go through Bob Kane to submit his stories and that pissed Bob Kane off. Of course it did. Yeah. Petty little bitch. And uh, Bob wholesale appropriated everything in the Bat Mythos as being his creation, which unfortunately killed Bill's self-esteem. The guy never had much to begin with He's a very creative individual, but he was he was semi troubled. He had um, image issues, you know, and 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 self esteem issues. And when when Bob Kane said he oh I did everything, it kind of turned the the burner off on on Bill's flame. So he it was it, I'm not saying that it led to Bill's death, but it was a contributing fast factor in Bill dying and nobody stood up and said hey this guy's really important he created all these things that we 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 love and read on a monthly basis or at least a modern interpretation of what he created and and nobody seemed to care and then we get commentary from bob kane um his early days at the eiger and eisner shops he calls the artwork during the golden age amateurish which in my mind is the pot calling the kettle black um, he regrets, get this, he regrets giving, never giving Bill Finger a byline, um, which is a case of not closing the barn door after the horses have ran away because by this time Bill was, uh, Bob was, uh, Bill Finger was dead at the time of the interview. So Bob Kane, really classy guy. Um, he said he could have drawn better, but he didn't want to. Dis- he dislikes Jerry Robinson. He thinks that uh, Jerry thinks he's God's gift. Uh, and he refutes Jerry's claim to having created the Joker. Now, here's where it gets weird. In one paragraph, Bob Kane says, no, Bill Finger created the Joker. They- he modeled him after Conrad Veet from The Man Who Laughs, which kind of dovetails with Fred's testimony. And then later on, he says, no, I created the Joker. Mm-hmm. And as far as Robin, Bob firmly asserts that he created the character and not Jerry Robinson. And then later in the interview, Bob contradicts himself again, saying that he created the Joker and the Riddler and maybe Penguin, but his memory's kind of fuzzy. So he could be wrong, but he's 
not sure, but maybe he is. You know what I mean? Um, he calls himself an innovator. He claims his status is legendary. And he thought Adam West was perfect as Batman. Okay. Uh, then we get an interview with Jerry Robinson. See, it's awesome because you get a he said, she said kind of deal. Uh, mm-hmm. Jerry Robinson actually recalls the events surrounding the re- the creation of the Joker. He said the idea was his, but he couldn't write the story because he was going to Columbia University at the time, so he gave it to, to Bill to write. Uh, he reminisces over his creation of Robin. He says that Bill Kane... Or Bob Kane wanted to call the character Mercury. And he wanted a mythological angle that Jerry didn't think fit the aesthetic of the Batman title. So he transformed it into the character that we know, the many characters that we know today. But he doesn't speak ill of of, uh, Bob Kane. Um, He said that when he first met him, he was in awe. He he had a a lot of respect for for the guy. And to contrast that kind of opinion with Bob Keynes, who says, I got no use for Jerry Robinson. He thinks he's God's gift. It's, it, you know, it, it's problematic and it's, it's, it's disheartening when you have these, these classic creators who did something really awesome and for reasons of potential monetary gain, maybe, I don't know, they, they're not attributing the credit where it's due. If Bill Finger created the Joker, let the world know that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know that Bob Kane wanted to be in the limelight, and he took just he he just corralled everything and said, "All all mine. I did all this. These guys were just working for me. This is all all mine." And that's the thing when I when I close the cover on this issue, the number one thing that that stuck in my craw was that Bob Kane was a raging asshole. And and not Bob, a very nice guy. Bob Kane had the fortune of having a father who was a lawyer. Right. And that's why Batman is created by Bob Kane. And he, soup to nuts, has everything and, and had for a long time everything, everything Batman related attached to him. And um, whether, you know, so say what you want about the relationship, the working relationships between, between Stan and Steve or Stan and Jack. Um, there was no, I don't think anybody ever thought that it was all one of the guys doing everything. And you could say, yeah, Jack did all the heavy lifting and it just Stan put words on the page. Or what, but, but there was, you could tell there was a collaboration and neither one was saying they created it all. That was never Not until later years. With, with, Not initially they didn't. What Jack in the Comics Journal was pretty much saying that he created everything. And, but it was instigated by Roz, who was kind of pushing him to, oh, sure. yeah, you did that. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah. I did that. Um, but it just bothers me that you have a guy like Bill Finger who created, in my mind, who created a character that has generated so much money for DC. Oh, one, I mean, one of the most iconic fiction characters of, of, of any of all time i'll give i i, I mean i'm not gonna just say bob kane created batman it was it was probably a collaborative effort because mm-hmm. when you look at bob kane's designs 
he modeled the wings off Leonardo da Vinci's oh, da Vinci, um, yeah. uh, ornithopter, and and Bill yeah. said Bill said there's no way he's going to be able to walk through a door. We got to we got to streamline this, but um, for a guy to 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 die penniless and alone, yeah. having created, I'll give him the Joker. Is it's it's a crime. It's just it it just breaks your heart that this man did something very very special and never got uh, a wide acclaim for what he's done. Yeah, and that just kills me. Um, yeah. Then we get an interview with George Russo's, who was brought in to do backgrounds. On the bat title, after the popularity of the, of the character demanded more output from the creators, and this is going to stick in David's craw, like Vinny, George Russo's would erase Bob Kane's backgrounds and add his own. Mm. Well, in that case, he didn't think they were good I, enough. It, it, he didn't. I don't think he was detracting. It's you have to keep in mind where where, where I'm where I'm concerned. With inkers or embellishing, it's it's you're you're adding, you're you're enhancing, you're giving depth to the work. If 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 all Kane's doing is scribbling, then if, if Russo's needs to tell a story based on what's going on, I'm 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 way more comfortable with what George did on Bob's work than I ever would have than I ever am on on right. What Vince mangled in in, in his years. Yes, but there's a hierarchy here. And another thing that just tweaked me was that uh, Bob saying Jerry Robinson, you know, thinks he's God's gift. If I had to rank the artists here, Jerry Robinson would be definitely at the top. And Bob would be at the bottom. Side by side, you look at their pages, Jerry Robinson was by far the better draftsman than Bob Kane. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's it just it, it just tweaked me. Uh it was an enlightening educational experience, but on the one, hand, on the other hand, I was getting heated reading this stuff. You know, um, not when I read Frank's interview because he's a god. Um, Frank, at the onset of the interview, he's penciling book three of Dark Knight Returns, and he drops a couple bombs. He says Dark Knight was originally planned. He and Dick Giordano originally planned the story as a single graphic novel. I did not know that. Did you? No. Which, that I did. It was very smart to break it up into four because I'm oh, sure 100%. I'm sure they made much more money than if it had been a single uh, graphic novel. Um, the initial concepts for the series did not include Superman. Right. Then Frank realized that he couldn't ignore Superman's presence in the Batman's universe. Yet you have to include Superman. So he 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 tweaked his his concept a little bit and Frank says Superman and Batman are enemies. They've always been enemies and they do not like each other. He goes this world's finest crap, no way. Batman and Superman are diametrically opposed. Um and he goes into further detail saying that Superman Fears the darkness. He fears the darkness he sees in Batman because he realizes he has some of that in a, in himself. And Batman doesn't like uh, Superman because he's the uh, yes sir, yes sir, uh, Boy Scout that answers to the president. And you know he he observes the hierarchy of the you know government officials. And Batman's like, no, you're not going to get anything done doing that. 
You know, so Frank, uh-uh, they are not friends. Um, Frank does not want to see Carrie used outside of Dark Knight Returns. He doesn't want anybody else touching the character but himself. Ronan was the single thing that made Dark Knight Returns possible. Yes. Had Ronan not been uh, a, the success that it was, Dark Knight Returns would never have been. Um, now, this may cause a little bit of controversy. Frank says that Bruce Wayne died with his parents and is now just a host body for the Batman. The entity that was Bruce Wayne, when he saw his parents die, that consciousness, gone. The Batman is the thing that inhabits the body now. And I, I think for the most part, I mean, it's... I can see conceptually where that, how that is. It's. I mean, we've we, we've known for years that that Bruce is the mask that Batman wears, so this way he can move about sure. in the day and 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 support that lifestyle. But to 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 put in words to see on paper that you know Batman, I think for a lot philosophically we 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 realize Batman was born that night when the pearls went flying. But yeah. the um, but but to think that Bruce died that night as well that's taking it slightly different than than, well, than what i've always thought yeah but i, I can see i don't I, think I see a, why frank would say that right but i don't think it's a literal interpretation of no, death I, I don't you know we all know that bruce didn't die but he was in he was definitely transformed yeah. by the incident so yes you could say that the the being that was bruce young bruce wayne was no more after this incident. So I totally agree with that. Uh, Frankie claims that Daredevil was not a well-conceived character. That he was slapped together from details of other Marvel characters. He calls him a bit of a Spider-Man clone. Um, he said initially Daredevil was just like a third-rate hero just to sell more books. And Frank thinks that he made him better. Again, I can't disagree with that. Of course he did. I mean, it was a bi-monthly book when Frank came on. Yeah. And, and and sales weren't anywhere close to, you know, the stories weren't as exciting or thrilling. Or, I mean, he, he totally, anybody who, it's, it's, it, it, there's the, is the pre and, and post or, or, or before Ditko and after Ditko. It's like, like where, where Zach is concerned. But I don't know too many people if you were to press them and say, you know, run off your favorite Daredevil stories, I don't know how many people would say anything that happened before Daredevil at 168. No one's going to mention too many stories that happened before Frank showed up. I mean, you could say Brew Baker, you could say Bendis, you could say whoever you want, but but Frank Miller is definitely going to be in there. I, you, I don't think anybody really. I don't know too many people who would who would think that Daredevil really existed before. Frank came on. You may say, oh, those issues inked by Wally Wood were spectacular. Right? Oh, they looked it, great. Yeah, as far as storytelling, what do you got from back then? The Owl? Right. Mr. The, Hyde? Like, what? Spanking Blank Widow on the ass and, and, well, and going yeah. to California to be, you know, I would too. To be, you know, you're, you're, I'm, I'm, I'm that blind guy's twin brother. It's, it's, you know, there's, no, I'm, I mean, I think 
obviously what Wade and Somni were doing was in a lighter tone than 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 what Frank brought to the table. But I mean, I, even even the Chichester stuff, or you know, Fall from Grace, or 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 Tree of Knowledge, and and all of that is you can think of. I I, I look at it the same way I kind of do with, with Burns' Fantastic Four. It's like when he shows up. It, with issue like two thirty two or whatever, it's like he 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 picks up from like issue was it one eleven what what whatever one oh what one oh two whatever whatever Jack's last issue was like Byrne doesn't miss a beat For, forget whatever Buckler and Perez and 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 everybody else did between my run and Jack's run he's picking up right there it's I I think I, I see a line. I look at it as, as you know, here's Miller stuff, and then everybody else is yeah. after that. I, I absolutely agree with you on, on. I agree with Frank on Daredevil. Right. Well, in my mind, Frank is the only creator that transformed not one but two characters forever with the same artist. Right. Okay. Batman is the the Batman we read today. Who, no matter who writes him. That was instigated by Frank Miller. That is Frank, to, yeah. to more or less an extent, Frank transformed Batman, Frank transformed Daredevil. The only other creator that I could say came on a book and transformed the character forever is John Byrne with Superman. Yeah. The Superman we read now and have been reading, that's John Byrne Superman. It may not have the, the particulars of, of John, like in, in terms of the power set or the characters, but right. when right. John Byrne got Superman, all that pre-crisis shit, right down the toilet. Nobody even mm-hmm. cared about it anymore because that is the Superman we read right now. I, I, you know, I tip my hat to both of them, Frank higher than, than John, but they're both crucial, crucial players in the comic book, uh, the litany of comic book creators. They're up, right up the top. But oh, anyway. Sure. Yeah. Um, this, this may cause a couple groans because I don't think he's stuck to this. Um, Frank protests Marvel's abuse of Kirby. And he, he says that he could not stomach working on anything Kirby created because of how badly he was treated. Now we see that's not exactly the case these days with Darkseid being in the Golden Child. So Frank has relaxed his restrictions a little bit. But well, this this magazine came out when? When was this interview taken? This was done in 1986. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm not good on I him think, for taking a stance, though. But you know, sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And the last interview is with Burt Ward, and uh, it's a it's a fleeting little glimpse into the the mind of uh, Mr. Ward. He says the Catholic decency. Legion said that he had too much of a bulge in his tights. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he felt trapped by the role, almost to the point where he may have regretted it. But uh, he, he makes a point of saying, I'm still doing appearances at, as Robin. Um, so, you know, it's still putting food on the table. And um, I thought this was cool. He said that Bruce Lee was his friend and said Bruce was very fast, both physically and mentally. So there you go. That was comics interview number one, number 31 from 1986. I had a good time reading this. 
I, I was edumacated, uh, a little bit frustrated uh, at times. <laughs> but um, all in all, I think it was a, a very worthwhile experience. Yep. Sweet. Yeah. Take up the reins. I want to hear about the future in 119. All right. Yeah. No. So um, this issue came out uh, right after the first year of Image Comics, which, uh, unless you're a really young listener, you know, was this incredible period that basically the ultimate high for comics before what was the ultimate low, at least until recently. Um, all these guys had left for image and, and of course their history is made their, their books all sell millions and millions of copies and they're instant millionaires and celebrities. And, uh, and, and this interview takes place right as their household names. And it's starting to be obvious that they're not handling their business. <laughs> um, and the first interview First of all, you guys, have, I, I, I got to say, like, one of the most fun things about this for me was going back and seeing the ads and the, uh-huh. I mean, that, that was great. Like, Advanced Comics is the first ad, which is basically previews when Capital City had it. Yes. And uh, it was like, this catalog offers over 2,000 items. I'm like, dude, previews today must have 40,000 <laughs> items. Yeah. Right? They, they gave you free cards. Free. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yes. For sure. Uh, and then interestingly enough, you open up to the interview with Todd and on page six is not, uh, what you'd expect, at least if you think of Todd, but it's, it's a, it's Cerebus because it's right when Dave Sim is, is that issue eight? Uh, it's issue, issue nine, uh, issue eight. Yeah, you're right. Issue eight, issue nine is the, uh, game in issue. Um, so, um, Jim Salakrup does the interview. And they have uh, history together because Selkrup was yeah. his editor at Marvel. Really gave him a start, made him made him Todd McFarlane. Um, and uh, it's weird because the interview is just basically a transcription of an actual interview they did over the phone. And at points during the interview, uh, Selkrup's phone is fakakta. Oh shit! And so like they actually Todd breaks up, and so they actually miss parts of what he says and have to oh. jump in the transcription. And it's particularly interesting where he loses, where they lose him. Bush um, that's Bush League. Totally. Right. Oh, I know, right? Yeah. You would think they couldn't just like re-ask the question or something. But uh, <laughs> um, And this also, right, Vince, this is right after Todd, the Todd father, does an interview in the Comics Journal with Groth. Yep. Which was made people's heads explode because Gary Groth, as particularly then, I guess always, but then was the, the, the torchbearer of how stupid mainstream superhero comics were. Yep, and and was and, and so for Todd to have agreed to do the interview, and then uh, and then the fallout was was quite something. And so they speak a lot about that, um, uh, including like Selkrup says, "Why the hell did you agree to do the interview?" And uh, and I love it because because if you've seen Todd in recent years in the 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 polished millionaire version of himself, he's really still the same guy, just hyper competitive. And uh, one thing I'll say before I talk is with each of these interviews, because you got Valentino, McFarlane, and, and, and Rob in this, um, it's just so fascinating to see where they were in their respective lives during this period. Um, like, McFarlane is a hothead and got balls of steel and is super competitive as an athlete. He wants to win. He actually cares about beating his opponents. Whereas 
Uh, Rob is just a deer in the headlights. He's in the still in the all shucks. I was just on Arsenio Hall and I did a Levi's commercial. Isn't this cool? Uh, and I never really was about the money, which is ironic now when you think of Rob. I mean, Rob's like a convention <laughs> money machine. Uh, and then you got Valentino, who is an older guy relative to the rest of the crew. I guess maybe Wills wasn't that young either. But um, And Jim is like the adult. He gives adult answers, thought out answers. Now, it's funny going back and hearing him go in-depth about a lot of these projects. I mean, most of them never see the light of day. But 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 he was very, very – you could see he was very organized and planned and thoughtful um, a little more mature, so it's 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 pretty cool juxtaposition in that regard. Because um, I know we think back to them as the collective group of 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 uh, risk takers and view them all as back then as like young young brash guys, and they were to an extent, but but certainly they all were at different points of their life. So uh, so Todd just goes into why he you know he he basically gave the interview to Groff because he loves uh, the yin to his yang. He said he has way more respect for. Groth, because he knows that when he thinks something's white, Groth is going to think, think something's black. He knows everything that Groth stands for, and he can respect that, even if they don't agree. And he likens it to his his being an atheist, and yet he, he has plenty of respect and doesn't try and judge people who are religious. Um, and then he goes on to say, but what really pisses him off is, so a guy like Groth doesn't piss him off, because he knows where he stands. What pisses him off are all the haters in the superhero comics world who shit on him and shit on image when they're doing the same thing and really much wish that they were them. So, um, you know, again, not if, if you've paid attention to the, um, you know, to the, to the, uh, uh, history of image, this is, if you know anything about Tom McFarlane, you know, this is in character. Um, but the other fascinating part of the timing of this was, as I alluded to Sim, this is right when Todd is handing over the scripting of spawn to four absolute all-time Mount Rushmore level legends. You've got Dave Sim, who brings in his character of Cerebus uh, into the issue. You've got Frank Miller. You've got Alan Moore. And you've got Neil Gaiman. And um, Selikrup asks him, first of all, why did he do it? And it's funny, because Todd says that he did it because... People said that he uh, that he was a bad writer, so he figured, screw them, I'll show them, I'll draw the book, and I'll get the best writers on the earth to to, to work on my property. Um, which which he, is funny because I what he's gonna re- he regrets the gaming inclusion. I was gonna say so. Yeah. so what's funny is I, I I just watched a video interview with Todd, um, and it was funny because he was bragging about how he is the only you know how he's basically created spawn for over 300 issues consecutively and always and always been the creator and it is true but you know like there's a little it's funny how it kind of takes a little bit of revisionist history now like he he he, he posits it as like he was the as he was the overseer throughout and uh and in this interview he very much hands over the storytelling he even expresses how he wanted them each to have fun and do their own thing with it um and uh and he, he, I love this quote. He says, why did I get them to write my book? Well, I couldn't take my critics saying I couldn't write. I finally caved in. It's not the critics. No, you know me. Uh, long enough to know that whatever, whenever anybody goes left, I want to go right. So right now, everybody seems to be selling comic books on covers and not content. So being that everybody's doing it that way, I decided to try it a different angle, which is trying to sell it on the content. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'll argue which one is. But I'm just saying if tomorrow everybody tried to sell on content, I'd probably try and sell it on a cover. I got to where I am by doing the opposite of everybody. It doesn't mean that I think it's better. It's just whenever you do something different, it seems to work. 
So pretty fascinating, right? Like yeah. at a time when we think of image as being the, uh, the main driver of the, of the drawing without story over everything. Uh, McFarland's basically saying he was trying to do something different with spawn. Um, and I guess I'll let Vince weigh in as whether he think that experiment lasted for long. Cause I certainly don't think, I don't think he stuck to that, that mantra for long beyond this. Uh, um, and then they talk about working with the four creators. And there is a point where he says, um, that Dave Sim basically got miss was misquoted in another interview about image. Uh, he the, what, uh, Salakrup is saying that Dave Sim said something that Todd told him and Todd says, no, he got that wrong. Uh, and that was basically that Sim said that he, he, in another interview, Sim said that image comics, um, if you left image, you could bring the I logo with you. Um, and McFarlane is like, I love Sim, but that's completely the wrong thing. You know, you own everything that you do at image forever. The only thing you don't own is image name and logo. That's the only thing you can't bring with you. You can bring everything else. You can take your character and pick it up and leave. And we would have to not be able to use it and write it out of any kind of history. Um, so he says all that. And then, and then he, and then Sal Krupp says, okay, so, uh, you know, you, you as a creator own all your stuff. That's great. Um, and then he says, uh, what about the guest writers? Who owns that stuff? Are they work for hire? What's the deal? And Todd says, well, I haven't made them sign contracts or anything, so I guess they could dot, dot, dot. Todd? Oops. Todd? You're breaking up a bit. And then he comes back. And then he says, look, essentially the way that I'm working is something like this. I divide the money up between the guy who writes pencils, inks, and the guy who creates it. You know what I mean? And the guy who created it basically gets the least amount. So if somebody decides to do an issue of Spawn then I get a little piece just because of advertising and I laid the groundwork and I did the first 12 issues I got, and then they break up again. And and then it goes on from there. Right. So, so what's fascinating is as Vince alluded here, he is basically saying, I didn't really make them sign anything. Uh, and then he and Neil Gaiman end up having a nearly 20 year legal battle over the content that Todd, I mean, that Neil creates in yep. his issue, which yep. included, uh, medieval spawn and um, and uh, Angela, and you know it's just ironic that that in the moment Todd thinks there's no issues, like it's it's loosey goosey handshake deal, and they end up fighting through twenty years until they finally settle. Um, I call bullshit yeah. on the on the phone cutting out. I call it, definitely yes, I definitely call bullshit on it because I'm. I mean, I, I'm Todd must have written. said something there, and he was like, when they gave him the transcript of the interview to to review, he probably said, "You know what? <laughs> I need to take this out." Who he pro- would do that? He probably do we know anybody who would ever do that. Uh, yes, um, but he he probably said, "Hey, look, I said a bunch of questionable legal things there that I don't want to bite me on the ass. <laughs> you better take them out." Yeah, because you can draw yeah. your own conclusions with an ellipsis, right? Sure. It's, it's not in black and white. Well, no, it says in parentheses, phone breaking up. It doesn't. Yeah, well, you know, come, but, come on. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. No, I just, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, so I just thought that was great. Like to think that, you know, in the moment he was just like, nah, it's all good. We're all homies. Like we're, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Well, and they then, all were know, homies like, back then. What? Right. They were yeah. homies back then. Yeah. yeah you no, know, no, all no, those guys with the one issue led to 15 years of battles. I mean, yeah. and then I mean, the game ends up giving Angela to Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was very vindictive on his part to do yeah, that. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. 
I mean, it was the time of the Creator's Bill of Rights, which admittedly was stillborn, but everybody outside of Marvel and DC was all kumbaya. You know, let's uh, let's just be buddies and make some great comics. And uh, unfortunately, over the years, that kind of attitude has has changed. And in, in like, I'm, uh, you know, these are my properties. I don't think many creators saw them as as properties back then. Surely the image guys did, right? Because they saw what they were making. But unfortunately, Todd didn't plan ahead. I, you would think, being as savvy as he is with business, he would have said, you know, you're working on my book, sign these characters over to me. You wonder if he learned from that. I'm sure he did. After the 20 right. years. Yeah. But he was also dickish and, and wholesale bought Miracle Man, too, which Gaiman didn't like at oh, all because, yeah. you know, it was his stuff at the tail end. Well, right. They, and then they agreed to do a swap. And then I guess that the Miracle Man, Todd, really didn't have the rights or at least some people contested it. So it, that was part of the whole issue. And yeah. Gaiman felt like he fagazied him. And yeah. yeah. Speaking of that, I think the rights are still in contention because why isn't they Marvel doing yeah. anything with Miracle Man? Yeah. No, they must be. It's just weird. Yeah, um, and then you get to, and and just you can you can picture because I've seen Todd speak so many times, you can just picture him all animated and he's yelling at Salakrup at certain points and he's laughing and almost maniacal. Um, it's very interesting. And the Valentino, really, that of the three was the most boring of them. Um, Go figure. Because <laughs> no, I know, I know, and, and honestly, it's because he gives really long answers. He he, he basically. Um, uh, Mark Lucas does the interview. He asks a question, and then he gets half of a of a page of you know column and a half of an answer, um, and it's mostly about Shadowhawk. Um, yeah. So, you know, uh, which is fine. Like I read it. Who didn't back then when it was coming out? But I it was never my favorite, to be honest. Um, yeah. Well, Valentino uh, was never a character. Uh, Todd right, yeah, Liefeld to uh, Eric. Yeah. Then you had Val and um, Silvestri was like in the same camp with. With Valentino, they weren't really bigger than life characters, so I can I, understand why his wouldn't be that. But uh, Valentino you, was the only one really with with the resume because he. Oh yeah. sure. Yes, everybody. Everybody came. The other six, you know, worked at Marvel and was they doing bang gangbusters on 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 the Spidey and the mutant books, and that was great. And Jim had a career. He was a name before Guardians of the Galaxy. He, he was an independent comic creator and and which is where i knew him from so when i saw him on guardians when i saw marvel doing guardians of the galaxy i was like actually you know i i'm i was kind of surprised to see a creator that i remembered from amazing heroes comics journal in doing this marvel book with these characters and um and he was always because he because of his age and and because of his resume he always um odd man out isn't the right term but when i look at the other six there's there's a certain look and 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 the baggage they bring with them from Marvel to Image and and I always in my mind I always thought that they brought Jim along as a way to um to validate or 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 to show, for legitimacy like here's somebody who actually does know the ins and outs he he's been an independent creator he can he can help us make sure it failed miserably if, if i thought that way but I, he could help us you know we've never really done indie books before even though you know initially we've got the backing of malibu we've never done indie books before here's somebody who has we can we can pick his brain we can take advantage of, of his experience and um i and, and i think it may have just kind of 
I didn't read this interview, but it, it maybe it, it gave him a, a, a new lease or, or, or a second chance, and he was able to have some fun with, with, with some of the younger guys. Yeah, and if you wanted yeah. to line them all up, back when Image started, Valentino was by far the best draftsman out of all of them. Oh, yeah. Even better, uh, even better than yeah. Jim Lee. Uh, like I have my favorites, right? Uh, you know, Eric's my number one. Todd's my number two. Whatever. Um, but it, it, as far as technical skill, Valentino then and probably even now blows Jim Lee out of the water. I think Valentino is by far the best technical illustrator of all of them. Yeah, yeah and, and as I remember as the story went, I mean, Valentino was an accidental member of, of the of the founders. Um, when 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 they when Jim and Todd were were doing their thing and Todd was pitching Jim on it at the hotel, um, Valentino just happened to be there too, and he was like, "Well, Valentino's a big name too. Like the more the merrier." And he pitched him, yep. and Valentino, unlike Lee and Rob, who just said, "Let's fuck yeah, let's do this." He had he had again because he was probably more mature and I think he already had kids. He said, "Let me think on it," and then, as the story goes, found them before the big pitch, the big, you know, we're going to do this and fuck you and said, I'm in. Yeah. So it was kind of a, you know, he, he, he kind of, he wasn't really part of the grand plan in as much as there was one at this start, but they said, Hey, why not? Let's bring Jim into it too. And uh, so, uh, but, but a lot of it then, as I say, is talking about like what he's got coming up. A lot of it never happens. He, he talks a lot about the 1963 series, nice, which uh, is that, I mean, years ago, you may remember we, we had fun riffing on uh, comic series that never ended. Or at least took forever to end, and uh, I know we did talk about 1963 back then. Um, in that, uh, it did have six issues, but the, there was supposed to be this 80-page conclusion uh, issue that never happened. Um, so he talks about all that, and he talks about uh, his inspirations for Shadowhawk, which I, I don't really care. But it was interesting to hear him talk about. He it basically was uh, modeled off the Fox, the old Red Circle Fox from Archie oh, yeah. Comics. Yeah. He always thought that the fox was cool, but a third-rate Batman, and he wanted to cool, make it kind of take a twist on that 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 archetype. And I guess he was approached. Um, I know years later because we talked about it that they did try and bring the Red Circle back in the in the aughts, and to not much success. But I guess they were trying to do it in the '90s as well. He said Kelly Jones had done the Hangman. Um, they had Mike Barr do a character, and then he was approached about doing the fox, but he never ended up doing it. Um, and then and then really the most interesting part of it was um when they get to um where they are right right then and now in the moment and, they, and mark says uh, mark lucas says one of the biggest criticisms of you all is that your books are delayed um with you all involved in all of these projects do you see problems with that and then god's bless valentino because this 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 passage will live will live uh in it in in infamy i can't speak for anyone anyone else obviously although i think it happened to all of us um, what happened to me is I can produce a monthly book with no problem at all. I'm pretty darn fast at the drawing board. And I've seen Jim at the drawing board, and he's faster than I am. He can do three pages in a day. <laughs> Jim Lee can't do three pages in a month now. I don't know what happened. Um, I've seen Rob draw. He's incredibly fast. So is Todd and Eric. I've never seen Will Spartasio draw, so I don't exactly know if he's fast or not. <laughs> Blink. <laughs> I think... <laughs> <laughs> but but I think we're all more than capable of producing a monthly book. Um, again, I mean, you can say it, but if you don't do it, right? Yeah. And none of them did it, He's including not. including Jim. He didn't. I mean, he was he was not 
none of them really did it. Um, and then he goes on to there about why, and basically he goes on to explain what we all know, which is that they're all more than able to do a, a monthly book, um, but it's it's all the other things they didn't know were going to come with this, right? Including the fame and the... And he says there's just never-ending requests for TV and newspaper interviews and magazines and photo shoots, and uh, and then they, none of them knew how to do all the business stuff because when you worked at Marvel, you had bookkeepers and 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 PR and advertising and sales managers and people who edited and wrote the solicits and printers and and they had none of that right so um so you know again interesting and i think of the three the one that holds the most factually to the way image comics's history has been written ex post facto about what actually happened um and then i'll quickly just say believe it or not even though he's probably the one that i've always been the most drawn to artistically rob um, the Rob interviews, um, put it this way, we had a much more interesting chat with Rob when he was on our show than this interview. Um, this is still really young, immature Rob who just made millions of dollars and just did TV and commercials. And uh, But he's trying very hard in this interview to come off as an all shucks kind of guy. You know, just want to draw comics. It's not about the money. I just think I have all these cool characters in my head and I just want to control them and I want to be able to tell stories about them without having someone else tell me what to do with them. Um, you know, we're all awesome and love everybody. We're going to get back on track. And then really half of the interview is just him promising about how he fell off track, but he's going to get back on track and he's going to start, they're going to start slowing down the promotion of image and they're going to get all their books out and get them all in a row and launch these, you know, these adjunct titles and, and just become a much more mature, reliable publishing house. And uh, again, reading it now, it's just ironic because it never happened. You know, they never did it. They they talked about it. They talked a good game. They never pulled it off. Um, and then uh, some awesome ads um, and some cool pinups. There's definitely uh, there's a thing called the comic book pages. Uh, and then there's the concept sketch pages, which I would love to get my copies on. on. It's they're they're both uh, in conjunction or being promoted with uh, Scott McCloud's Understanding Comics, um, which has an ad. You can actually mail away for a copy of it. How fun is that? Um, then you have a, an advertisement for the X thieves, the aristocratic extraterrestrial time traveling thieves. Fun book. Yeah. I have all those oh, for nice. sheer unadulterated fun. Um, then Southern Knights, Hell yeah. the number one super team of the Which South guys. Yep. Before he was a Gator. Well, he was probably a Gator, but not a comic Gator. Um, six pages of, of Southern Knights. Then they have two pages of comics express, uh, two pages of Psycops. The 25th century, they need no death penalty because they have Psycops. It's a stealth freeze cover. It is, yes, indeed. Yep. You can see his signature clear as day. <laughs> I didn't, big white ink. Um, then a bunch of the comics review, so forth and so on. And then at the back is an interview, and it's kind of a shame that it gets relegated to the back and isn't isn't touted in any way until the end, is an interview with uh, Paul Neary. Yep. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, and it's good. He's very, very polite. And it's really more of a retrospective about his career to that point and different people that he worked with. Uh, there's some some uh, dope um, um, Paul, uh, you know, there's some def- Alan Davis stuff that they show there, and yeah. uh, which is which is dope. Can't can't front on that. And there's uh, is Captain America stuff. There's no. a little bit of Captain America stuff. There's there's some X stuff. There's uh, Batman Year Two. You're forgetting uh, the best one. Exterminator 1? No, the Hunter work he did for uh, Warren. That's by far his best work. Oh, I just don't know that they have images of it here, that's all. 
I'm talking about what they have images of. It's right the on article. the it's right on the front page. Where? It's right on the where it says Paul Neary. It says Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Okay, my, my goodness. The, the, you're, you're right. I've moved past that. Uh, yeah. So it's a pretty long interview. It's like twelve pages. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and then there's an interview with someone I have to say I did not know uh, until until I read this, and that's uh, an interview with Vincent Fago. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> ah, yes. The great Vincent Fago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, his Peter Rabbit is pretty cool. There you go. Yeah, this advertisement bugs the shit out of me. Which one? The, the one, one with the, the gorillas? Where yeah, it's, it's where on it's, the side. Where it's, no, no, it says Gorilla Gorillas. Just call the, <laughs> call the book Gorillas with, with the U. Yeah. That would have yeah, been a great true. title for that. But no, they had to push it. Gorilla Gorillas. We get it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my then God. Then there's an adolescent radioactive black belt hamsters lost and alone in New York ad. That's right. Mm-hmm. But that back cover ad, though. Oh, yeah. Prime time. That's the shit. And by the way, Fago, which talk about it, like, in the article, he talks about he was given a contract by Timely in 1972 for one million dollars. It's a lot of money. In Twelve 19- books a year. Yeah. For for uh, yeah, that's inc- I mean, that is incredible to me. I, I I like for a guy I never heard of. Like that is, I mean, that's tens of that's like ten million dollars now. Yeah. Like nobody in comics makes that. Period. Well, in, in American comics. I bet you the Gorilla Gorilla guy didn't even make that much money. Should should have cut a check to Jack for that that uh, drawing style too. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I got to give a shout out because we love it so much. At the end of uh, of the on the back cover is a ad for previews. You'll flip for previews. Yep. And but, by the way, this was issue number four, April nineteen eighty three. So this was the very start of previews. That's volume. Three number volume four. three, so it's it's their oh my boss. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But uh, just so, so okay, you're so all not the, wondering, the back cover that David uh, talked about is an ad for the Reign of the Superman, with um, all of the characters' facial features blacked out. That is true. Yeah, yeah. Reign of the Superman beginning in Adventures of Superman five hundred five hundred one, Action Comics six eighty seven, Superman seventy eight, and Superman the Man of Steel. 22 all on sale the same day and we are at this point when this magazine comes out we are within a three to six month period of comics almost going away this is the end this is the this is the the speculator bubble about to burst (sighs) yeah death of superman came that's credited as the peak that's credited as what started there were 7500 stores after Death of Superman, by the th- when Death of Superman came out, that is true. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Oh damn it! I should have read 108. It's what was 108? The Art Spiegelman Mouse issue. Oh well, next time. Yeah. So David has to uh, tell us about number 43. 43. Oh, to seven. Um, <laughs> we have. Um, we start off with an editorial by Mr. Stephen Bissett, um, where the, the, the impetus seems to be 
uh, the obscenity offense against Friendly Frank's comic shop. Mm, that was and, a big deal. Uh, it was a very big deal. And um, Stephen goes on to discuss uh, differences between labeling and rating your books uh, or having the publisher rate the books. There was a um, there seems to have been a uh, a letter that was going around uh, put together by DC, for example, uh, where they were going to rate their books, and a couple of the creators took offense to that, and and um, they weren't involved in the discussion and uh basically says that um you know label is placed voluntarily on a completed work of comic art labeling is not a mandatory company or industry practice it is the decision of the creator and or publisher to label or not to label um rating on the other hand is is can be considered a warning or or um there's someone else involved in in explaining what uh what the contents may be but ratings can according to beset they um they can be bought as um as uh, steven spielberg attempted to buy a pg rating for films like poltergeist and gremlins and indiana jones and temple of doom and i believe that last one was the first pg-13 movie or maybe red dawn was but um all films that would have earned an r rating under MPAA standards um, at the time, but the um, the ratings board, I guess, because it was Spielberg, didn't rate them R. Um, there's a forum with the uh, there's a Star Reach seminar where they're asking mature content um, whose responsibility, and there's a plethora of. Uh, of people involved in this forum, like uh, Gary Colabuono from, uh, who's a retailer for Moondog Comics, who uh, Gary says that uh, he wants to introduce or he wants to uh, envision, if you will, an ABC type system. And some of the people who are listening to this are, are, are kind of taken aback because who is, you know, what do you consider an A? Because if if, um, if if you go by the R and, and, and the X ratings, if uh, what what someone might think is an R in New York, that retailer in in, in Tuscaloosa may consider that a G, and uh, so you can't. It's it, the discussion almost the conversation kind of falls apart almost at the start because no one is either no one's listening or or no one's explaining. Or, or, or no one's actually taking the stance to say the publisher is who's going to deem how it's marked. Uh, other people are saying, "What about the distributor? Or what about the retailer?" And it's 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 already falling apart. But but there the discussion is there. Carol Kalish, who was sales manager at Marvel, um, she says, "I'd call them all A books because our books." we don't have characters running around severing the heads off other people. And someone said that, you know, that would be a C book. And then, but okay. So what if there's nudity involved? And, and again, it's just, it's like nobody it's, you shouldn't have, I'm, I'm of the opinion that, you know, you could say who you think this book, like if it's rated T and, and you want to say, okay, you know, anybody 17 or older can handle this book. That's fine. Let somebody know, but don't, 
I, I, I kind of have a problem with um, someone telling me what, give me an idea. Just, just give me some information and I can run away with that, but don't, don't, don't censor something. Don't, don't stop the book from happening. And, and there's other interviews in this issue, but the, um, but the, as, as Carol also says that, uh, you know, that they're, they're by instituting the, this sort of system, um, you're setting a very, very simple, rigorous, um, standards and, and, you know, the standard you're, she says the standard you're proposing is not simple because all of a sudden there's another other element. There's another element, and um, Gary cuts her off and and says you guys are misunderstanding what I'm saying. It's a simple system, and there are no simple answers. And and it it kind of just again, kind of free falls into um, people not quite grasping what 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 Gary's trying to get across. Or Gary's just not doing a really good job of, of explaining it. Um, they bring up Watchmen, and you know, somebody mentions in the audience that that's that's a pretty hardcore book for DC at this day and age. And um, but the uh, the sales manager for DC says that um, you know he. Uh, With with the Watchmen, before they before DC even has a page drawn of that book, we've already told people exactly what it's going to be, and I don't think we should have anyone misunderstand. Um, and again, people ask, "Well, what if the retailer makes the mistake and and sells it to to a kid that that they shouldn't have been?" So who's 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 responsible for that? Who who takes the fall for that? Is it is if if DC if DC sells Put, publishes the Watchmen and and there's Night Owl and Silk Spectre having sex and a clerk sells that to a 10 year old is it DC's fault or is it the retailer's fault and 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 you know and if, if if but if DC said hey we put out this book we didn't say it was it had adult content in it we didn't tell you it was for mature readers DC would be at fault they'd have to cover the fines and, and, and have the lawyer present. But if, if, if we tell you this is exactly what's going to be in the book and you sell it for whatever reason, then now that's on you. So, um, they try to give an understanding as to, you know, the way things play out. Uh, there is an interview with Frank Miller, which was kind of in progress, but also started late because Frank ended up with a $47 speeding ticket on his way to the um, Mid-Ohio Con. Um, he says, you know, they regulate films. They don't, they don't rate books, and they shouldn't rate books. He, um, he talks about how um, an audience member asked if, uh, if Frank changes his style depending on how or where your work will be published. And he's like, that's just it. I found myself writing completely differently depending on who I'm working with, what format it's in, and the character. Uh, for example, Electro Assassin was completely written when Bill Sienkiewicz got it. After he illustrated it, I completely rewrote it to take better advantage of what he put in. Uh, with Daredevil, 
The goal was to do a much more straightforward crime adventure, and with Electra, it's being allowed to run away with itself on its own little strange tangents. I'm really enjoying it. Um, he uh, he does talk about um, using. Um, he was talking to Byrne um, about having opposite moments when when uh, when. John used Batman and Frank used Superman. Um, both of them were thinking, you know, maybe I picked the wrong character. Superman is such a great character, but none of them are really leaping out. Captain America, I finally got to do in a Marvel fanfare story. Uh, there's a lot of really good characters out there and a lot of characters that I think with just a little twist, you'd have something special. Uh, just ask Byrne. He's taken over the big lame duck book and moved it in right into the center stage. Um, they asked about um, why is it that you didn't have Batman dying? Oh, it's like I was saying, you can't kill him. Only I'll kill him, but nobody's going to believe it. He's Batman. I mean, you're not going to convince me that Supergirl is dead. If he would have died, that wouldn't have made him human, and he's not. He's like something superhuman, something that'll go on forever in one form or another, and the closest thing to death is when he takes the costume off. Um then Frank has to leave. Then there's a long interview with John Byrne, which I don't, it, it's weird again, because of when this is, um, when this interview takes place because of everything else going on in the world at this time, because of the work Byrne has done up to this point um, and has yet to do. And again, you know, times change, people change with the times attitudes opinions the world around them maybe darkens their mood or uh they just have a different outlook on things but it's it's weird some of the things he says in this interview that as a creator it's 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 a little mind-boggling um because Byrne doesn't have a problem with the rating system per se he doesn't think it'll work but he sees nothing wrong with telling people what they're buying um and he uh, he he was protesting the fact that it at least appeared that the ratings were being prepared secretly. As a result of that, none of the freelance creative staff had any input or was invited to give any input. It was the thing we were it that was the thing we were protesting, not the ratings themselves, um, because we had not seen the ratings. How could we protest something we had not seen? Uh, I know that Frank Miller is now protesting the actual ratings, and that's where he and I part philosophically. Um, the interviewer was um, Bob, Sodar Bob Sodaro. Uh, says, when the motion picture industry decided to rate the movies, I don't think that the people who set those ratings were asking the writers, the directors, the actors for their input. And even if they had, the people who were writing and directing today weren't writing or directing then. I don't think I understand the difference. Burns says, I don't know if the producers, writers, or anyone else was consulted as far as the movies were concerned. We weren't, and we felt that we would perhaps, it would have perhaps have been nice if we were. Certainly, as it turns out, it's not going to affect my work at all since my Superman fits comfortably into the universal market where they want it to be anyway. Um, Unless someone's and, forcing Superman to have sex with uh, Big Barda, in which case, maybe not. <laughs> that's, and, and, and so he says that, you know, um, the example I used was if the R stuff is selling better, then we will see an R-rated Casper with no editorial change in content. If the G stuff is selling better, then we'll see a G-rated American flag with no change in content. Um, 
so he's asked so, so um he's asked if uh the rating system is strictly Marvel and DC. Byrne doesn't know. Marvel is professing these days not to be rating. The response from Marvel has been, what do you mean we're not rating our books? My response to that is that they've been rating their stuff for about four years through separate companies. You have the Universal line, which is Star Comics. The adult line is Marvel. The mature stuff is epic. It's a little more subtle than putting it on a cover. Nobody's going to the Star line and expect to find what's in a regular Marvel book or go to the epic books and find what's in the Star line. Um, he, th- th- this was weird because he says, um, there was no plot element in the world that cannot be gotten around somehow. I was watching the other night that Robert Young TV movie, Murder or Mercy. And there was a scene where Michael Leonard comes back from the court or something and breaks down and sobs her guts out in her husband's arms. She's taking a shower when this happens. It was titulation as far as I was concerned. Why is this woman taking a shower when she breaks down and collapses in her husband's arms? Why isn't she in the kitchen? Why isn't she in the bedroom? Why isn't she in the driveway? Why aren't they coming home in the car? It was a very specific call that whoever wrote that thing had to... It, it was it was a very specific call that whoever wrote that thing had to make. And so the interviewer brings up the big chill. Burns like, I didn't see the big chill. He's like, well, there's this one nude shot in the movie where a woman is crying in the shower because her friend had died. And I remember saying, why is this scene here? And then he... And then Byrne brings up Chinatown and how there's this big reveal moment where Faye Dunaway and Jack Nicholson are in bed together and Faye's breasts are exposed. And and all Byrne's thinking is, how are the hell are they going to show this on TV? When, when this scene happens, they can't, like, this whole, and I'm thinking, have you never heard of, like, people cropping things out? But but what, but what made, made me scratch my head is here's somebody who writes stories and, and you know, I know a lot of times you'll have characters writers will say, you know, the characters write themselves. Or they tell me where they're going. If you're writing a story and, and that's where, and these days we understand, um, you know, the way, why people react to certain things or, or why they behave a certain way. It, you don't know what triggered her to start crying in the shower. And, 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 you know, yes, it's a story and yes, somebody wrote it that way. And, and you can absolutely say, okay, well, obviously they wanted that nude scene and that's why that that's happening. But to, to, to pick it apart and say, well, why, why does she have to cry in the shower? And it's like, because that's the moment what, like I, I tend to just look at the way the stories, I don't, I don't really care who's pulling the strings. If, if the way the story is playing out and it's, it's logical and it makes sense for that to happen, so be it. I don't care if I see a tit in the shower or if she's crying in the kitchen. It's, 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 it, it seemed weird for me to see Burn again, though, because of the era, to see Burn kind of focus on, on that particular thing. But, but Burn then goes on to say that he was giddy because he got Superman to say, damn. Um, you'll never hear a Superman say, goddamn, because that's a whole other thing altogether. But a simple damn is okay. Um you know, you would never hear Superman say shit because I just don't think, you know, he'd use that that kind of language. You could hear Lois say shit. I think, you know, she would kind of pull that off. But um, they, he's also asked about um, with, with, with storytelling and, and how, um, uh, why, why, why certain characters behave the way they do or, or, um, you know, what would you have a character? Would you have Batman do this or, or, or do that? And, um, you know, if, if, why can't Batman kill somebody? And, and Bird's like, you know, because if, 
that would be the end of the character. He couldn't be Batman anymore. If he crossed the line, he would become a criminal. So the interviewer says, well, how do you know that you're always right? How do you really know? And Burns like, because it's comic books and we have the control. That That's the magic. It's the same with 30 Harry movies. How do you know he's always right? Because somebody wrote the thing and they're not going to write it wrong. And, and, and I'm like, and again, yeah, it's, it is that, that simple. Someone is writing these stories and, and in control in, in charge of what these characters are doing. But it's, I don't, he, he goes on. It's, it's John Byrne and all the stories he tells, but, but to just break it down and just be like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's letters on a page. It's like, you know, that's just that, that, that's the way that I don't, I don't, I don't want the magic ruined, man. Just, just slow down a bit. But the, um, there's a interview with, um, Milton Gripe, who is the co-owner of, um, Capital City. And, and I absolutely loved this interview because, um, they asked him, what exactly does a distributor do? Uh, Grief says, uh, our function is to act as a supplier for retail stores. To do that, the first step is finding the merchandise. To do that, we attend trade shows, including many outside our industry, such as the Hobby Industry of America show, the Toy Fair, American Booksellers. We advertise both within and outside the comics field in order to bring our name before possible suppliers' eyes. Once we develop a relationship with the publisher or discovery product line, we then solicit our retailers to determine how many copies they would like. It's done this way, firm sales, because the direct distribution system is based on no returns at a slightly higher discount than the ID distribution system operates under. So we And so we solicit in advance, at which we all know. Um, ID stands for independent distributor. That would refer to the newsstand-type distributors, the Charles Levy's in Chicago, the Hudson County News on the East Coast. Um, and they you know, ask about the birth of the direct market. And so Phil Sewing's name is brought up. Um, what I loved about this interview is that he does, that, that group actually refers to the retailers as their customers. Not, it's not us. It's not the people who read. It's not us who read previews. That's not, who pre- again, it's not who previews are designed for it. It's designed for the retailers. That's, that's the distributors customers. And we've always known that. Um, but you know, when we, when we want to argue, about something Diamond is doing. It's like, but, but Diamond, Diamond may be doing something, and it might be affecting us down the line because we're we're we're, we're the final place where the product ends. But whatever Diamond's doing is not a, it, it, it's affecting the people we get the merchandise from. So so we can be angry at 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 Diamond being a monopoly and and screwing over retailer, but um, that's that's not necessarily our our fight to have and. Uh, the, the, um, they actually explain how at at this point he says, um, there were, whatchamacallit, um, what service does the distributor provide for the publisher? Milton says, in Capital City's case, we get merchandise from the printer's doors to approximately 700 retailers, and we have, and we achieve economics of scale that make that possible because we are combining shipments from more than one printer and more than one publisher. If each publisher has to sell individually to each store, then the prices would have to go up because the cost of administering those orders, of shipping them, that'll be much high. That would be at a much high cost per book than is achieved by the current distribution system. And again, these are all things we already knew, but... I miss Capital City because I, I liked 
their catalog. But uh, you know, he explains how they'll um, when they were at Greep was asked uh, Greep was asked how the Capital City's order form breaks down because um, obviously you can't run advanced art for every single book that's in there. Um, so he says that a lot of it depends upon cooperation from the publishers. Some publishers are much more cooperative at sending us advanced art in the proper size and line screen and so on. And it's easier to use. And if it's easier to use, we're more likely to use it. We do make decisions, decisions on what to run, which reduces the total number of graphics we run from the number available. We run less than the number that are available and those decisions are often based upon what we feel will have the most impact on sales. If we have an advanced graphic for a book that has had the same creative team and the same character lineup for five issues. And we also have a graphic for a book that has had to change that has had a change in any of those areas. We're more likely to run a graphic for the book that has a change because that's the kind of information the retailer needs. Um, I just thought it was real. I mean, it, it, was, it was neat to see an interview like this in a magazine like this, because it's not necessarily something that somebody who just read about a John Byrne interview or Frank Miller interview may not need to know about the, um, the direct market. But the last interview is with Jerry Pearls, who's somebody who I had no idea who this gentleman is. Uh, he, um, he played a pivotal role through the years in the day-to-day fate and fortune of Marvel comics as both legal counsel and friend to founder publisher, Martin Goodman from the earliest days of the early days through the time when the various Goodman publishing companies were acquired by cadence industries in the seventies. Pearls was there to witness it all the creation of the comic book industry, the boom bore years, the bust following the censorship scare instigated by Wortham, uh, the birth of the Marvel age of comics under the direction and creative genius of Stanley. Um, and, and, you know, apparently, um, Martin Goodman didn't have a dime when he came into publishing. He came from a very large family, very hardworking, but no money of any kind. The family lived in Brooklyn, about 13 children. Martin got all kinds of jobs, working hard to bring money home, trying to make a living. Then it was a period when he bummed around on freight cars to see the country. Um so before his publishing days, there were many tramp trips, freight cars, cooking beans over a fire, but he did see the country. Uh, I don't think you could mention a town to him that he didn't know about. Um, so his knowledge of the country helped him when it came time to, to publishing. But the um, there was a... Um, they were talking about some of the... What was it? The, 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 like the true detective books and things like that and and uh when okay martin had true detective magazines no story was bought by the editor before it was sent to me for reading to avoid libel um for example there was one chap who sold a story about some sheriff in iowa who became a local hero solving a murder by the clue of a rose found at the foot of this beautiful woman they always were beautiful women except for one problem no such crime ever took place he was one embarrassed sheriff who in turn brought a lawsuit for damages. The sheriff's case was settled and the author went to jail. Um, but every single story um, published by Marvel was true. We got an affidavit from the author on every story that we bought. The affidavit asked where the material came from, where the photos came from, what police authorities were interviewed and so on. So this way we'd have um, everything would be crossed and dotted so that, uh, Everybody was safe, but yeah, the um, he mentions that Stan Lee is the cousin of Gene Goodman. Stan came to work for Martin as a young man. 
but this 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 paints Martin Goodman in, the, in a very positive light because not only was he his lawyer, he was Pearls was also a um, a very good friend. They they hang out in in Florida whenever they go down and visit, and and it was it was it was a weird interview, but um, it was definitely of of all of the history books, whether it's Men of Tomorrow or Marvel: The Untold Story or, or any of the books, any of the creators from back in the day never come across pearls's name i've never read anything from the lawyer's lens and uh it was um it was an interesting interview but overall i mean i just it, looking back at the issue as as enjoyable as the topics were with with the rating system and and what should be marked mature and, and whose fault is it or who takes the blame if, if something is so i i just i i wish there was Obviously, these these weren't discussions that could be solved by the end of of, of the panel, but um, I would have liked some sort of um, closure, I guess, on them. But but we know you know where everything stood and 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 how we how things ended up. We, we you know that that's just it's the way it is. Everything's got the as Kaler said. You know we have the Comics Code Authority on the covers of, of our book. So it's, that's, that's the code we kind of go by. We don't need any other rating. And, and I don't think it, it, you know, the shit that happened at, at Frank's or anything with Mike Deanna, I mean, they're just, there's people do have to take responsibility for their actions, but I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure where as, as long as the publisher says this is what's going to be in the book, like there was an issue with Miracle Man number nine. It didn't have a Frank Miller cover. People didn't know. Um, the story that happened in the issue wasn't what was solicited. Uh, so, you know, if, if retailers wanted to send those back, if the distributors wanted to send it back to, to Eclipse, you know, then they could have. Eclipse didn't have a leg to stand on. That's not what we solicited. And, and you know, so we'll take the hit. But um, I don't think... It's it's weird if, if if the publisher is telling you what the, what the story is, what what the contents are going to be like, um, then you know I don't think I don't think a retailer should. I, I think a retailer needs to have some responsibility. I I don't know if they have time to read every single book, obviously, but you can't just sell every comic to, to, to everyone. And, and, and I know that that's where some of the um, conversation was going, but I, I think it's bullshit that the retailer has very little responsibility in the, um, to the people that they're selling to back in the day. If you came home from the newsstand with a copy of penthouse or playboy or heavy metal or, or lampoon whatever mm -hmm. and your parents said hey where'd you get that you'd say i got it down the newsstand your parents would go down to the person at the newsstand and say why did you sell this to my son right right and yeah, i think a, yeah, i think i think the person or the people that profit from these things end of the chain should know what they're selling Absolutely. If you yeah, pick up if you pick up a comic, Miracle Man number nine, and it says this this comic features graphic depiction of childbirth, yep. not a horrible thing. But do you want to sell it to an eight year old? I don't know. Right. Maybe you should think about it before you do it. Are you going to sell um, something from Ripoff Press or something so, featuring S. Clay Wills? Like, yeah. Are you going to sell that to it? Uh, no. You should be familiar with the things that you're selling just leaf through them if you see lots of nudity and lots of violence you're not going to sell it to a kid 
right? So this bullshit that they hold the the, the publishers accountable, just stick. It, it, this is and for mature readers. The, Boom, you're done. Everything the, after that is out of your hands. That's what the catalog is for. It yeah. does. I mean, every solicit and in, in previews will say, you know, mature audiences. It'll it'll let you know. So there's, you know, if it says mature on the cover, you're not selling it to a 13 year old. Um, and it just makes but, for a know, better retailer. If if you familiarize oh, yourself with your product, you're going to be more knowledgeable. You're going to sell to more people. You know, it just makes sense to understand and to know what you're selling. I understand if they can't read everything, but that's where again that well, they can where, flip but, through. But if you're ordering it takes from two previews, seconds. If, if you're ordering from the catalog and the catalog is breaking it down for you, then that's you know you can't you can't say I didn't read it. But okay, if I go to the order form and it tells you eighteen and plus, well that's that's where you knew that that's where you made your mistake. You, right, you, I think you, you ordered a book for eighteen right. plus and you sold it to a thirteen year old. The publisher has a responsibility to cite if this if the things they're selling are not suitable for children. That goes without saying. But once it leaves the publisher's hands, I think all of the responsibility is on the retailer. Like you said, and that solves the problem with, okay, what's suitable for teenagers in New York City may not be suitable the same teenagers in and that's right in the more and, rural and, and areas that, or down, you know what I mean, down, of course, down south. So it's up to the what solves that problem is the retailer just looking through the book and saying, well, this is not going to fly here. This may fly and, in them big cities, but not here. <laughs> in them big cities. And, and, and that's another reason why I'm not a fan of the whole blanket. Like, like every issue of Daredevil can't be an A issue because if, if you know, you're not going to get to Born Again. You're not going to get to Karen on the first page talking about, you know, needing to hit and sucking some dude off because she's done porn. And it's like, it's, it's, that's not, 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 that's no longer an A book. That's not an all ages title. It's, it's Daredevil is a superhero book, but that's not an all ages title at that point. That issue isn't. I mean, the rest of them, all, all 226 before it may have been, but this one isn't. So, so you well, can't just say, then oh, Marvel should have, Marvel should have labeled that accordingly. This is not your standard Daredevil. Maybe you should think twice to sell. They it didn't. They well, didn't. Yeah, they should but, have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. It's, it's, but no, it was it was um, it was an entertaining issue. But I'm I'm really looking forward to um, when we do this again because I think I would love for us to collaborate on one issue in particular because I think there's something in in that issue that that each of us could probably have fun with. That's cool. nice. Yeah, you know, Milton Greep uh, is the man behind ICB2 these days. That's what he's up to. That's why. Okay. Because I knew yeah. that name. I knew that name even beyond Capital City, but I'm like, there's something else that I'm I'm, I'm missing currently. Well, yeah, ICB2, because it's the internet, but it's it, IC was in, was internal correspondence, which was the, the insider letter he would write to his Capital City retailer clients, mm-hmm. just telling them about stuff that, that was going on business-wise, Creator wise, who was going where, what was coming out, what books he thought were going to be hot, and uh, and so then when he sold Capital City to, you know, during the uh, distributor consolidation wars, and then it was kind of on his own. He started ICB two, and I, I assume he makes. I mean, he makes a living off of it. I think. I mean, you know, it's an awesome site. I, I don't know how popular it is in the sense that it's like an industry site devoted to comics and comic related things, but he seems to be doing okay with it. No. Obviously, the the ratings issue is much more complex now than it was back then. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm sure a lot of these comments are are rendered moot by the 
the Sue happy uh, culture we live in. But, oh, yeah. you know, uh, just cover your ass and, and leave it up to the retailer to take the, the brunt of the the blowback should any occur. They They need to be familiar with what they sell. That's just, you know, that's just my opinion. Um, if you're going to profit from it, you know, uh, porno mags were at a different part of the, the store on a higher shelf. If you were True. under a certain height, <laughs> you're not going to get a porno mag. And you're not going to make it past True. your guy at the register. It's just common sense. That's your uh, game. Yeah, or still. That's your game. And a big trench coat. Uh, all right, everybody. Hey, that was a whole lot of fun. We hope you enjoyed it. Please. Solicit our sponsor, dcbservice.com. They have everything you want at the prices you want to pay. Um, it's going to get a little um, different in the, uh, as Jason said, in the weeks to come. But we will weather the storm, and they will probably, most definitely, do everything they possibly can to make the transition as smooth as possible for you. That's right. Yeah. In your travels, um, real quick, Josh Bayer is still doing his thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, in these times of uh, sequestered um, artists not really uh, being able to do what they do, I suggest you go over to Josh Bayer's site and order something from him. I recently got an issue of, uh, or not an issue, a uh, trade paperback of his collected work for the RM character, and you know there's a vowel missing there. It's a, an homage and a tribute to... Bill Mantlo, with uh, Josh doing further extrapolations on the characters. They are, they're not what they were originally. He changed the names and the likenesses to uh, protect the innocent and the guilty. And um, this is all recolored, or not recolored, but colored. And Josh is as good with color as he is with uh, ink. So it's RM, and like I said, there's a follow missing. He'll draw on the envelope for you. He'll do a commission if you need him to. So just uh, head on over to Josh Bayer's site and buy something from him. Support indie artists. Yes. Uh, in your travels, um, this is a true story. Um, something I've been meaning to read for a while. And um, finally found a copy um at uh i think this was also a, a new york comic-con find but this was uh, published by oni press in 2003 it is written by andy parks it is illustrated by eduardo barreto uh with uh special thanks to gordon purcell it is union station it is andy's debut as a dramatic writer, because up until this point, everybody knew him as the anchor he is. Um, but this is a story about uh, Kansas City in 1933, when um, on June 17th, Frank Nash was being transported to Leavenworth through Union Station by uh, federal agents and Kansas City police officers. However, gunfight broke out just outside the station. Uh, Nash ended up dead. The federal investigation claimed that... Um, Pretty Boy Floyd and Vernon Miller were involved. Um, and in the aftermath, J. Edgar Hoover used uh, the incident to build up the power that uh, he would um, eventually wield um, and create the department 
the bureau we know now as as the uh, the FBI. But um, things aren't really so cut and dried in this. There's a uh, there's a character. There's um, a a reporter in here who um, uh, his name is Charles Thompson who who tries to kind of he doesn't really write the he's not a beat type reporter. He, he does announcements and things like that. He just happened to be there at the time at the, at the station with his son when this went down. Um, and he seems to be kind trying to maybe piece some things together, but, um, people with power, people with influence kind of nudge him away from that story. Uh, and, and they don't want anything. He doesn't want anything to happen to his wife and child. So he seems that he, he acquiesces, but, um, it's, it's, it's neat. Um, it's it's a neat telling of this. Andy does a great job with the story. Um, there's uh, he, he cites his sources with footnotes, um, breaks down all the different um, books he read on the subject. Um, Andy lives in Kansas City, so he's he, he is a fan of that city. Um, but uh, using the sources here. Laid some things out, even even if it was just one throwaway line from a character. If if uh, he if Andy had read that in another book, um, he made sure to um, to cite that source. And there's there's scene by scene notes in the um, in the graphic novel as well. But it, it it's a nice presentation from Oni. Uh, it's not um, it's not your standard size trade paperback or, or graphic novel. It's um it's slightly smaller in the dimensions, but Roto's art is absolutely fantastic, as you would expect it to be. The um, man is is so talented. And again, somebody I miss. I think you can kind of see where um, Purcell had the assist, but um, but yeah, I, I really like the look of this. Fedoras for days, um, which is fitting. But yeah, it's uh, it's a. I liked it a lot. So in your travels, if you find a copy, Union Station. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a, that's an oldie but a goodie. Um, in your travels, I was elated to be uh, provided a copy of this to read in advance, uh, as were you gentlemen, thanks to uh, our uh, lovingly long-term relationship with Image Comics. Uh, this will actually... Well, it's supposed to... The publishing date was May 20th, <laughs> so which would be next week. Uh, I obviously that's not happening because I believe Diamond is back in full effect on May 27th, I think. And then, but that will not be like a lot of the publishers need to ramp back up. So I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm, I should have, I, I didn't look up, I don't know when this book is actually hitting the stores, but it is already done and will be hitting the stores probably in June, would be my guess. But I'm talking about uh, an original graphic novel published by Image Comics called Bog Bodies, uh, written by. Longtime friend of the show, Mr. Declan Shalvey, with uh, incredible uh, art by Gavin Fullerton and equally incredible colors by Rebecca Nalty. And uh, shout out to uh, Clayton Cowles on the letters, too, while we're at it. Um, this is Declan's second foray into what I believe is his long-term goal of just doing these quite often uh, of, of an original graphic novel set in Ireland about Irish people. Um his last one was Savage Town about a year, maybe a year and a half ago. Very much enjoyed that. That was a straight, grimy, uh, 
city level, street level crime story uh, about some two bit Irish gangsters at Savage Town. This Bog Bodies is uh, in the same vein uh, in a way, but uh, it's it's it starts off that way. Uh, first of all, the book I should say is a little. It's more like a novella. It's a little more than 80 pages. Um, and it centers around, um, I guess you call him a protagonist. It's difficult to say in a story like this. He's certainly not a good guy. But a, a young kid, probably college age, hard to tell exactly. They don't give his age. His name is Killian. And it's clear he is one of the low men on the totem pole for the local Irish mob. Um, he's basically a do-boy, does whatever they need him to do. And... Uh, an older guy that's 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 a partner of his that sometimes shows up and says, "Hey, man, we got to make a run. We got a body that we got to get rid of." So they they uh, they they go on about it, and it turns out that uh, we we come to find out during the car ride that uh, these two were involved in some other um, op recently, and it didn't go well. And uh, the kid Killian is is being held accountable by the boss for it. He's blaming him. So this is all a, this is all we've seen a million times in a mob movie. This is all set up to to try and kill Killian, get rid of him. But uh, he's young and spry, and he gets away. But he's uh, he's in the Irish countryside with with uh, he's wounded. He has no no weapons, uh, and he's on the run from from his his friends turned enemies who and have to kill him because the boss said so. Um, as he's running around, he comes across a young woman uh, who is. Uh, the worst for wear. She's beaten and bruised and bloody and looks like she's been through the ringer. Um, her name is, uh, is Neve actually. So shout out to uh, Neve, Neve Gordon. If, if you're listening or Jonathan, you can pass it along. Of course. She's nice Irish, nice Irish lass. Uh, but, uh, this Neve has uh, been through a ringer and, um, she doesn't remember how she got hurt or how she ended up in the countryside. There's no memory basically, but, uh, but they become unlikely. They're both, she seems to be on the run or in danger, although she can't remember why and if. He obviously is, and they, they pair up and, and try and basically escape these uh, mob assassins that are trying to off him. Um, and it leads them to a rather unusual place um, in the bogs, and they come across uh, an older woman who lives there. And uh, there's there's a bit of a classic crime moment where uh, every all the interested parties finally coalesce into the same spot. And there's a bit of a, a standoff, Mexican gunfight, whatever you want to call it. Um, and then they, Declan and Gavin, completely knock you on your ass in the closing pages when you realize that this book has got a whole other level of something going on of the supernatural variety that just jaw on the floor conclusion to the book. That uh, I didn't really see coming. I mean, I knew something was up, but I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And then they stick this landing and, and hit us with with this with this book being about a lot more than than just a, a street level crime book where the kid's trying to escape his fate. Um, it was badass, man. And I got to tell you, you know, Declan is I think becoming quite an accomplished writer. Um, obviously, he's also an excellent cartoonist in his own right. I had never heard of Gavin Fullerton before this. Uh, Declan seems to be great at unearthing or at least bringing to the U.S. U.S. attention these awesome uh, Irish creators, right? Um, I mean, we've we've met Owen Marin and Nate Stockman yeah. through that, and uh, I'm assuming that 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 uh, Fullerton is is another one of that crew. Um, his style is uh, it's got a real thick line, um, 
in some ways, he reminds me a bit of um, uh, of um, Vince is going to cringe because, according to Vince, this is the greatest draftsman currently alive. Um, Jason Latour. He reminds me a bit of Jason Latour, but but a little a little cleaner, a little a little a little cleaner, a little more strict anatomy. Um, but I love the facial features. Uh, these are down and out people. They they're ugly. They had busted teeth and busted noses and 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 they're they're not pretty to look at uh um and and there's a ton of action in the book because it's basically it's an, you know it's, a, it's an escape like a fugitive type of a situation got guys on the run for his life um and i think he really really does a wonderful job both in the pacing of the book so let's it's only 80 pages bring you right into it you're fully immersed you feel like you know the characters right away uh and and he just hits all the right beats from a layout perspective where all of a sudden you get these these big twists and surprises as the book goes on that you just didn't see coming. So a very confident storyteller. And again, I apologize if you listen to this. And, and um, Gavin, I, I I presume I don't know offhand if, if you're if you've done a lot of other sequential work before, and this is just the first U.S. work. But either way, um, you certainly come across as a very very accomplished, confident storyteller. Um, and then I got to give a shout out to um, to to. Rebecca Nolte, who also not familiar with, but her colors are amazing and I think really set the tone. Um, it's a really saturated color palette, and I think it really fits the the grim, gritty nature of this book. Um, so uh, I'm I'm all in on this 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 next phase of Declan's career where he just tells badass crime stories set in Ireland because uh, that's 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 awesome and it's authentic to him and. Um, and it just, it feels different. It feels like I'm reading a Bond SNA, you know, because it's your, it's a European, European creators telling stories about Europe. Um, it, it just so happens that it's an American published comic book. So massive, massive fan of what he's doing. So this one is called bog bodies. And like I said, it's publication date. If you go into images is, is was supposed to be May 20th, but needless to say, it's, it's not going to come out then. So I'll, I'll take a look after we record and, uh, in the, in the Facebook group and stuff, I'll try and uh, remember to post when uh, when it's it's supposed to be hitting the stands. Nice. Yeah, I have it ready to go. I haven't I haven't flipped through it yet though. Oh, you'll enjoy it. It's quick. I mean, it's quick, right? It's, it's like eighty two pages. I think. Yeah, so. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I really, really, like I said, I dug it. I, and I know Fullerton is credited with a book called Bags in the Solicit. Uh, and again, apologies, that that may be a very well well known uh, popular book that I just am just not aware of. It's pretty awesome that the shave it, save it for the show doesn't apply to everyone, huh, Mister Facebook? You put this on the dude, Facebook. You got to, you got to do it, dude. You got to do it. Yeah, it's, it's, it sounds know, really good, do. though. What? Gotta do some shout outs. Yeah, I was just gonna say thank you. Yes, you. Yeah. Uh, huge one for uh, Mister Will Salamango. What up? Uh, there is a. Ron Santos. There is Brad. That's it. Like Cher or Madonna. Uh, Adam Northcutt. And Mark Haddock. Thank you all for joining in the the Illuminati or Inner Circle menu. And, and for those of you who have joined on the Inner Circle or moved your tier over to the Inner Circle, like Frankie the Dildonator, um, <laughs> we, uh, we, 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 we love having you here. We love seeing you. Um, Clay Stroff, I, 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 um, I know he, um, we've hit, he, he, we've connected on, uh, the Slack 
Messenger and, and um, anybody who is on the Slack, not all that active, uh, shoot us a message in the general. And if you have any questions about the interface or, or, or what you may be missing or any any discussions that um, might be happening in Fast and Furious that, that, that you're not a part of because you're unaware of any of those channels, drop a note in general. Because if, if one of us don't answer you, everybody else in the community will. And um, and, and, and they'll get you sorted right. And this way you'll be able to participate and get involved and, and, and hang out for those questions that we may ask people to have themes on the episode or when we have a creator on and we ask for questions. But I, if, if, if you are on the Slack, I'd love to see you on the Slack. Don't, don't hang out over in the um, against the wall. Lay, save that for me when I'm at a party. But we want to see you out and about in the, um, in the channels. Yeah, and on that point, because um, I, I feel like people have come on in stages, we, we, we have the ability to create other channels, and some channels are like one and done, they, they're about a specific thing in a specific moment, and they kind of die off. Other channels are very vibrant and active, and there's a good chance you haven't, you the new people haven't jumped into all the channels yet, you don't even know that they exist, so we can always help you with that as well. Oh, and should we do Book of the Month? We absolutely can do Book of the Month. Nice. Yeah, let's open that bad boy. Um, so, yeah, so so the winner has been chosen. I have not checked since um, since the weekend, so I do not know um, what uh, where where things. I knew I knew where one and two were. I I, I knew our first first two uh, two options were, and I don't know. Um, what ended up with what? So, your book of the month nominees were The Authority, Volume One, Border Worlds, Brat Pack, Clandestine Classic, Elric, Volume Three, The Dreaming City, The Michael Moorcock Library, Flaming Carrot Omnibus, Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume Five, Marvel Graphic Novel Number Twenty Nine, Hulk, Thing, The Big Change, Miss Tree, Volume One, Park Bench. And Superman, Panic in the Sky. And your winner, it seems, with 33% of the votes, is The Authority, Volume 1. Oh, uh, yeah, big number, by the way, I think. So right? 30. I will find 33, and in second place, with 26%, was Judge Dredd. I think this was the closest <laughs> it's Dredd like the has guy, made it. It's like the, the, it's like the middle reliever in the Baseball Hall of Fame votes. Like he just starts with like 20%, and they just keep talking about each year, and then finally get the creep. Sneaks in one day with like the sixty-one percent he needs. <laughs> it's Can we just happen. make Judge Dredd complete case files a book of the month sometime soon? Seriously, like, we all want to talk about it, and and we put it all about like every third all right, month. Well, all right, so we'll call it that. that that's going to be the June book. Oh, nice! I like it. I like right. the decisiveness. So, uh, so the authority for those of you who aren't aware, if you may have missed it last week, this is available as a hardcover. You can get it digitally through Comixology. However, these first 12 issues, which is what we're going to be discussing about, are also part of the Omnibus, which is how I'm going to read it. Thanks to Caleb, because it's on my bookshelf right behind me. That's going to be pulled off when we're done tonight, so I can start on it. We will discuss the book. Let's say the last Thursday of the month is May 28th. So we have over two weeks to read it. Nice. I got the big-ass slipcase one. Oh, Same. is that like an absolute or? 
it's it's about the same size as an absolute yeah oh nice okay. maybe even bigger i have it a long time i've never read it so you've I never spoiled, read the authority I, I just spoiled jason's question so yeah i've never read it wait what yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But you love planetary though i do i do so was it just that time when you weren't really reading because this was um yeah that's that's it's it's um that window okay yeah because it, it it was um because I, I was familiar with the creative team, obviously, with the Ultimates. But, yeah, I know everybody talked about the authority. But it was it, – I also was there – there wasn't a connection to um, Wildcats or DV8 or, or anything like that. Was there with authority? Not I know it was a Wildstorm or no uh, – it was a Wildstorm title. Yeah, but I'm saying I don't, I, I don't think it yeah, – Okay. But yeah, but yeah, no, I love, I, and that's really the only time I've, the only authority I've read is the Planetary Authority crossover. Um, and I mean, I've, I've, I read Midnighter, what, cause, cause Garth was writing that and you had the Chris Sprouse art. Um, but that was ages ago and that was, that was pre Flashpoint. But, um, and I'm familiar with the characters from their other appearances in, in other current or DC books, but yeah, as far as the authority itself, the team, the title, the 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 Warren and the Miller, I've I've never um can't say I have. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, because I, I mean, didn't it come out pretty much at the same time as beginning of Planetary? Well, Planetary, I wasn't there at the very beginning. Okay, I, okay. I came onto the Planetary with, um, I believe, I bought the first two trades because uh, the comic shop recommended it. Um, and then, and then I eBayed the first nine or 12 issues. And then at that point I was, um, mm-hmm. I would say I was, I was keeping current cause you know, it's easy to buy a comic when it comes out every five months. So that is true. All right. There you go. All done. We're out of here. Done, son. Please, um, solicit our sponsor, dcbservice.com support indie artists, get on the, the socials and see who's selling what and, Give them a little lift. Um, be safe and keep all those around you safe. And in the meantime, say goodnight. David. Oh, good night. Cheater. Hmm. Cheater. Cheater. David. Nice. Alright, we're out of here. Say goodnight, gentlemen's. Ladies, y'all. Good night, gentlemen's. Be good, people. <laughs>